Good evening. You're listening to Radio Orbit. It's KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. My name is Mike Hagan. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Welcome to the show. The eagle has flown from the snow and carries your company here in a place. Welcome to the show. It's Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. It's 11.06 p.m. Central Time on July 7th, no, July 10th, 2006. And uh, so I don't even know what day it is. I was gone for a week, 
took the week off last week, and now I'm still trying to get my act together, okay? Anyway, uh, it is the 10th of July, and it's good to be back. Tonight, we have a wonderful program lined up for you. Hopefully, uh, things work out okay. I had a little bit of problem with the uh, telephone when I was messing with it earlier, so uh, we have to cross our fingers. You know, you never know with the technology around here. So, anyway, uh, my guest tonight, Brian Trent. And I'll tell you a little bit more about Brian in just a minute. But before that, we have to take care of business here and say thanks to Debbie. Debbie Johnson, always doing wonderful things on Free Range Radio Theater from 10 p.m. until 11 p.m. every Monday night, doing it up for an hour before this program and setting us up nicely. And I love uh, Debbie's program, and I hope you all listen to it. Free Range Radio Theater. You can find her on the web as well at freerangeradiotheater.com, I think. Uh, or use one of your friendly neighborhood search engines to, to correct any of the errors that I may have made. All right, uh, before that, Kelvin, my friend, and Jason doing it up. Uh, we had tech radio earlier in the evening, as always on Monday. Jeff with Uncommon Light from 3 until 5. Jeff had a great show today, actually. I heard a bunch of the, uh, I'm guessing it was new Bruce Coburn. I know it was Bruce Coburn. I just don't know if it was new, but you played a bunch of it. So um, I'm guessing that Bruce Coburn has some new stuff, and Jeff played a bunch of it this afternoon. And uh, he does great stuff every Monday on Uncommon Light from 3 until 5 on KOPN. And uh, the news is thrown in there somewhere in between every Monday, and we have fun time. <laughs> we have fun times. All right, so it's Mike, and it's nice to be back. I was out of town last week. I said thanks to Casey for sitting in for me. And as a matter of fact, you can catch Casey every Wednesday night at 10 p.m. right here on KOPN. And I need to thank Rick Levine for a fun show. It seems like a long time ago, but back on uh, June 26th, Rick Levine, Quantum Astrology, an interesting com uh, concept, and it was really a fun show. And we also played some great independent music, as we always do. And if you missed it, it's on the web. So hop on there at www.mikehagen.com and uh, figure out a way to get to my archives. It's not that difficult. And you can also go to the music archives and find out about um, music that was played on the program last week. Actually, not last week because that was Casey's program, but uh, the week before and any of the other prior programs that are in the archives there. All right. So and there's wonderful stuff. There's lots of uh, jewels, as it were, hidden in the archives and in the music uh, archives. And we've got lots of new stuff coming all the time. As a matter of fact, we started the show tonight with some great new music from Joe Stickley's Blueprint. And they're a local regional band who I've been familiar with for quite some time. They're actually, they're actually uh, sort of the, you know, the dual incarnation of the band that goes by the name of Bachman. And Bachman has been around, uh, Bachman has been around for quite some time. And making good music. But anyway, this particular project, they call Joe Stickley's Blueprint. And the CD is called uh, The Eagle and the Pearl. And it's real good, and I like it. That first song uh, that you heard tonight to open the show was the title track, The Eagle and the Pearl. And we'll hear more, uh, we're, we'll hear more from Joe Stickley's Blueprint as we uh, move through the program, okay? And you'll be able to find information about them on the web as well. Uh, from my website, you can connect right over to their MySpace page and to their, uh, uh, to their direct website as well. Okay? Okay, so uh, let's see. Casey, yeah, every Wednesday from 10 p.m. until uh, midnight, you can catch Casey right here on KOPN. He did the show last week. I thank you. And uh, Rick Levine, great stuff. 
Uh, tonight, as I said, we've got Brian Trent. And Brian has written a great book. It's called Remembering Hypatia. And uh, you can find information about Brian on the web as well. If you want to uh, sort of get ahead of people, um, hop on to my website and uh, read a little bit about what Brian's done. But anyway, uh, Remembering Hypatia, he refers, of course, to Hypatia of Alexandria, one of the most amazing women in history, um, yet a woman whose accomplishments and contributions to Western thought are scarcely, man, scantily recognized and acknowledged, myself included, uh, uh, not to mention her murder and the subsequent expulsion of everything about her from most of the history books. Uh, so we'll tell her story tonight. We'll do it with Brian Trent. He's amazing. He's done a great job with this book, Remembering Hypatia. And her story is one that I've learned over the last few weeks, and it is a fascinating one. And you wonder how many like it there are. You know, there are plenty. This one, just, uh, this one we just happen to have a bunch of evidence uh, that can't be refuted. So, anyway, stick around. Brian Trent in about 50 minutes or so. All right? It'll be great. And if you want to get on the web at MikeHagan.com, or you can also jump directly to Brian's site at Remembering Hypatia. It's H-Y-P-A-T-I-A, RememberingHypatia.com. All right? Okay, so we got the forum up, and uh, the live chat room is up. I haven't peeked in there, uh, but I'm sure there's some people over there. Uh, for those listening over the web, you can, o you can always just uh, go to the website and then um, click on that chat room. It's pretty cool. You can just go over there and either sit back and listen to the program or you can contribute and ask questions or make comments and I try to peek in there every 10 or 15 minutes or whatever uh, as the program goes along <clears throat> and if there's stuff that I can comment on or that makes sense to talk about yeah, I'd be glad to, uh, to add it to, uh, to the conversation alright so that's what's going on tonight we'll, um, uh, we'll continue alright we've got Music, as I said, all night from Joe Stickley's Blueprint. Uh, I know a couple of the guys in the band, Sean Kamen and uh, Danny the Drummer. I don't know Danny's last name, but uh, Danny the Drummer. And it's new, uh, American music. And it's from a CD called The Eagle and the Pearl. So that's tonight. We have Brian Trent, and it's going to be a good program, okay? All right, so thanks for the nice emails. As always, uh, over the last couple of weeks, I hadn't been um, paying too close attention to email. I was in, I was in Chicago for a few days. And uh, uh, I didn't have to work my regular job last week for uh, well, the entire week. The, we had basically the week of July 3rd and July 4th off, which never happens uh, for me. I mean, I, I rarely ever get a week off of, uh, off of work. So that was cool. And I was able to go visit my parents and my wife and I and my son. I uh, went to go see his grandparents in Illinois, and that was good. And anyway, just had a lot of work going on and doing things around the house and you know it's summertime and got to be outside hunting blackberries you know part of the time can't spend all your time buried with your head in books and the internet and things like that or hidden away in the corners of radio stations as I like to do sometimes but anyway uh, uh, I thank you all for the emails that I get and for the ones that you sent over the last couple of weeks okay and hello to everybody who's out there listening over the web, live or otherwise. We are streaming right now and every week via Cosmic Waves Radio. The wonderful people over there at CosmicWavesRadio.com 
And thanks to everybody over there, Carrie in particular. You know uh, how much I appreciate everything that you do. Uh, thanks to Larry, speaking of people who I appreciate. Uh, the web wizard, as always. And hello to all the new registered users at the site. We get more people every week that uh, are getting interested and in, in getting involved. So anyway, the forum is uh, starting to become interesting, actually. It's one of those things, you know, lots of people start these forums, these bulletin boards. Um, very few of them actually take off, to be frank. Uh, there's a lot of them out there. And I'm a member of, of, of a number of them. And some are very successful, and I've seen a lot of them just sort of, you know, just peter away uh, because they just, don't get the, they just don't get the activity. And that's what's required is activity. You know, you need people posting uh, new stories and new comments and new threads all the time. And if you don't have that, the thing just sort of falls apart. But uh, anyway, our forum, uh, as young as it is, is, uh, you know, doing its best. And I appreciate everyone who's over there uh, posting and uh, commenting on other people's posts. That is where a community on the web is really developed, inside these forums. And I have uh, good reason to say that because I've seen some really interesting relationships develop uh, through the use of bulletin boards and... Uh, uh, and the conversations, debate, and discussions that arise uh, on them. And it's a great place for people to let it down, to be themselves, to post things that are interesting to them. And you actually find out many times that it's interesting to somebody else as well. And uh, um, it's a great outlet and a great uh, opportunity to archive things for the future as well. You know, I mean, if you ever want to look for something that you thought of or that you, uh, uh, that you found interesting, post it on the forum. And it's there forever. I mean, as long as the Internet is around, as long as Larry and I can breathe, uh, trust me, that stuff will not be lost. And you can go there, and there's a very convenient little search button. And you just search for your words or whatever, and you'll find exactly what you uh, had posted years ago. I actually do this. Uh, there's, uh, and I don't mind plugging them because uh, I've... Even though we've sort of gone our separate ways, and I don't really agree with the majority of uh, information that's being posted at this one particular site, uh, there is a, a forum. It's called Time Bomb 2000. And uh, it's a wonderful place, or it was at least, and I think it still is, and there's wonderful people there. Uh, but it's been sort of overrun uh, by the hardcore uh, control freakers and, and the fear mongers and all that right now, but a lot of places have. And uh, it's... it's uh, um, it's just the way it is, and uh, hopefully it'll come back around to the place that it was uh, prior to the year 2000. That's the the whole deal with Time Bomb 2000, and this will give you an idea for the uh, for the time frame that I've been involved with this group. So I can t so at least you'll know, you know, I have a little bit of perspective with regard to what I'm talking about. But Time Bomb uh, 2000 started in around 1997, nine nine or ten years ago. And it was basically a bunch of concerned computer people uh, who had interests about the Y2K computer issue. And uh, it, was a, it was a forum, which was pretty unsophisticated at the time, uh, nine or ten years ago, where people were just posting information and saying, hey, this is what I see in my field, this is what I see... Uh, in what I'm doing, and I think that this might be a problem or that. Anyway, it was just a big discussion forum basically about uh, uh, the upcoming Y2K year 2000 transition 
and the computer bug that everyone was worried about six years ago. I mean, there were Armageddonists that were saying that it was going to shut down the whole planet, you know, and that it was just going to be, uh, and it was also the perfect opportunity for terrorists to strike, and uh, you know, and on and on. It turned out that uh, probably because of the work of a whole lot of good programmers uh, before uh, the curtain dropped, it, 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 went, it went by without uh, a whole lot of a hitch. Now, trust me, there were hitches. Just you, don't hear, you, don't, you don't hear a lot about the hitches. Uh, but there were hitches, and there still are. There, there, there are still computer issues that are related to what happened six years ago. But it didn't shut down the planet, and uh, technology was able to march forward as uh, was humankind, you know, for good or for bad or for ugly. So, anyway, we still have our little machines, and uh, we still tap on them and use them. And I do a lot of that stuff. And it's available because of the technology. And you guys out there on the web who are listening are able to do it, um, you know, for exactly the same reason. So uh, I appreciate everyone that makes it possible. And I appreciate people that get on the forum and people that uh, are getting involved with the website to... Um, to keep it alive because it's really cool when it happens and uh, you can make friends and enemies and uh, find people that can really push your buttons and find people that turn you on and turn you off and all kinds of things in between and so we're trying to do something like that at Radio Orbit and uh, with that in mind we are trying to build a mailing list and all the listeners if uh, you go over to the website and there are a lot of people who go to the site but don't register and I recognize that uh, but, of course, it's free, and it's simple, and I don't ask for a whole lot of information. And if you do so, you can get a couple freebies. You've got a great CD that's available for download from my friends Jeff and William from the band Yachai. And their entire CD, Sweet Mother Mercy, is available for download if uh, you register at the site. And they're doing great work, and I love those guys. And they made a great little promo for me that I played last week, and I think I'll probably play it again sometime tonight, maybe. Anyway, and Larry's doing some really cool stuff with screensavers and all kinds of things. And we have people sending us music and artwork and poetry. And for everyone, as I said before, if you're getting involved, thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, the whole thing comes together because people out there get involved and, you know, and don't just listen or whatever. Actually, take the time and... Uh, you know, send me an email or, or write a poem or do some music or uh, share some stuff that they know from other people. And it's great, and I love it, and I appreciate everyone that's involved, okay? All right, so if you want to get in touch with me, the email address is orbitradio at AOL.com, orbitradio at AOL.com. Uh, the website, www.mikehagan.com. It's H-A-G-A-N. And uh, let's see. Let's take a break. It's uh, 22 after the hour. Let's play another song from Joe Stickley's Blueprint. And as I said earlier, this um, the CD is called The Eagle and the Pearl. And there's a bunch of great stuff on it here. I think we'll play the fourth track. And this is called Lead Love. Back in just a minute, this is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. It's KOPN Columbia. And we're streaming live on Cosmic Waves Radio uh, every Monday from uh, 11 p.m. until 2. Thanks to the people over there. So, all right, uh, once more, uh, one more time, it's Joe Stickley's Blueprint and the song, what did I say? Yeah, Lead Love. Back in just a few minutes, it's Mike, you listen to Radio Orbit. One in a window, 
right, more good stuff there from the guys, Joe Stickley's Blueprint. And it's Mike. You listen to Radio Orbit KOPN Columbia. It's about 11.27 on the 10th of July. All right. It is also time to talk about some upcoming guests. Tonight, as I said, we got Brian Trent. If you want to catch up or get a leg up, hop on the web, go to my site, or just go right over to Brian's site directly, www.rememberinghypatia.com. All right? Um, on the 14th, this uh, Friday, I'm going to do a special webcast with Mary Sparrow Dancer. So you'll just have to listen to that on the web and you can go to the website and find out how to do it. But um, I'm not even sure what time. It'll probably be about 8 o'clock central time, I'm guessing. Uh, 7 or 8 central time on Friday, this uh, Friday, July 14th. A uh, special webcast with Mary Sparrow Dancer. And she's a wonderful woman with a great story of her own. And we'll speak with her on Friday, okay? All right, next week... The 17th of July, Elena Tinetti. Elena's amazing. I was introduced to her by uh, Dr. Michael Heisen and Star Newland, and they have worked with her for a number of years. But at any rate, she's got a wonderful new video production that has been released. It's called uh, Birth as We Know It, and it's about water birth, and it involves a whole lot of other things, including dolphins, and it's three hours and 20-some minutes long. And anyway, Elena Tinetti, doing wonderful work. And you can find her on the web at birthintobeing.com. It's birthintobeing.com. And I'm sorry, I don't know Mary Sparrow Dancer's website uh, at the top of my head. But, you know, again, easy enough to find, all right? All right, uh, so that's on the 17th, uh, Elena Tinetti. The following week, July 24th, Marco Roden. We'll have Marco back on the show to expand upon and clarify upon uh, the amazing mathematics and implications of the work that he's doing. All right? And it, it needs uh, more discussion, no doubt about it. Marco Roden uh, on the 24th of July. All right? If you missed the first show with Marco, just to hop on the web, figure out a way to get to my archives, and you can listen to it. Okay? Uh, July 31st, the week after that, Christopher Dunn, the outrageous author of Giza Power Plant, and uh, thanks to my friend Pio, who's listening live right now from Sweden, as a matter of fact, for sleuthing out Chris Dunn's email address. And it was actually the right one. And I got a hold of Christopher, and we've spoken now a couple of times over the last week and a half. And we're going to do the show on July 31st. And he's real happy to do the show, and I'm really pleased that we were able to get in touch with him because I think he's a special guy. And he has a wonderful take on... Uh, these ancient megalithic monuments. Uh, and his take is one of an engineer. And not an engineer uh, that only has book smarts. He's also a machinist, a very skilled machinist. And he knows what it takes uh, from, uh, from a machinery standpoint you know, to do certain things with stone, with masonry. And so we'll talk with Chris Dunn on the 31st of July, and we'll talk about Giza and probably some of these other amazing monuments that uh, keep showing up all around the planet from times long past, uh, but from our ancestors and people who were much sharper than we typically give them credit for. 
And uh, a lot of that stuff is coming to the forefront, though, these days. And um, I'm pleased to be able to, uh, to share some of the information on this program with people like Christopher Dunn and, uh, you know, Jay Widener, who I spoke to recently. Uh, Jay will be back on the air soon. His new video documentary is completed. I've mentioned it before. Uh, Odyssey 2012. Daniel Pinchbeck. He'll be on the show soon. Cat uh, Harrison, hopefully sometime in the fall. Dennis sometime again in the fall, certainly. And uh, Alan Goldstein, as a matter of fact, back in August, Dr. Alan Goldstein uh, from uh, the University of New York, right? Uh, Alfred University. And he was on the program just a month and a half ago or so and blew everyone away with this talk of, uh, you know, uh, nanobiotechnology. Again, if you missed that one, uh, it's on the web. All this stuff is available, uh, is available, and you can listen to it and download it, share it with your friends or whatever. But anyway, Dr. Alan Goldstein, the stuff that Dr. Alan Goldstein is working on and uh, writing about and talking about on the radio with people who will talk to him is as outrageous as anything that's come down the pike in my lifetime. Uh, I mean, it basically takes all the stuff that you see on CNN all the stuff that you see on the newspaper, all the stuff that you worry about every day, and it basically just obsoletes it all. It just makes it all completely nullified because the implications of the work that these guys are doing is, well, I mean, their tagline is uh, the race to break the carbon barrier is on. This is their tagline. Well, uh, the race to break the carbon barrier is, for those of you who aren't familiar with the, te- with the terminology, what that means is the elimination of the barrier between living and non-living materials. Carbon, as far as we know, is the only uh, basis for life on this planet. Well, that's about to change. And Dr. Alan Goldstein, uh, like it or not, is at the forefront of making it change. And it's not just a side note. It's their charter. It's what they've been uh, basically uh, uh, objectified to do. And if they can't do it, if they cannot eliminate the barrier between living and non-living materials, they have failed. It's their primary objective. And they ain't failing. I mean, for whatever, you know, for whatever, whatever comes of it, it's coming, baby. And uh, it's going to change a whole lot of things. And I don't know what, but uh, Dr. Alan Goldstein, he's someone whose words you might as well listen to. I mean, you listen to mine, you should listen to his for sure. All right, so uh, that's coming up sometime in August. And, well... That's enough to think about for now, all right? Let's play another piece of music. I like the CD, so we'll play um, as much of it as we can tonight. Wonderful independent American music, Joe Stickley's Blueprint. And let's play another one here. Uh, What is this? Little Lou. Yeah, Little Lou and the Radio Kid. All right, this is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. It's KOPN. 
and we'll be back in just a few minutes. I'll get my friend uh, Brian Trent on the line here, and we'll listen to a song here, as I said, from Joe Stickley, and come back. I'll do a little news. We've got space weather to do still. I was going to try to get Ken Stegman on the air with us uh, for a little while, but, but the, the bard uh, is feeling a little bit under the weather. So we'll do space weather uh, and talk a little bit about a couple stories that are in the news when we come back. But let's play another song first, and um, you can enjoy this one, okay? It's called uh, Little Lou and the Radio Kid, and the band is Joe Stickley. Joe Stickley's Blueprint, as a matter of fact. And this is Mike Hagen. You're to Radio Orbit. It's KOPN. Columbia. When the show is over, rock and rollers, I'll take to a quiet room where my little stereo says.
All right, more good stuff there from Joe Stickley's Blueprint. I was a little Lou, the radio kid. It's Mike Hagen, you're listening to Radio Orbit, and it's KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM, about 11.40 p.m. on the 10th of July, 2006, okay? All right, my guest tonight, if I haven't mentioned it uh, enough, it's Brian Trent. And Brian has written an amazing book called Remembering Hypatia. And you can get a leg up on the rest of the crowd and hop on the web at MikeHagan.com or directly to Brian's site at RememberingHypatia.com. And you can learn a little bit about Brian and about what we're going to be talking about uh, for the rest of the show, uh, beginning right at the top of the hour at midnight, okay? All right, but in the meantime, uh, let's do space weather like we always do. I said I was going to try to get Bardo on the line with us, but he's not feeling too good, so um, I hadn't really prepared to do a whole deal with space weather because I wanted to fill in uh, with Kent Stedman. So I'll just wing it here, but uh, I know this much. It's the full moon tonight, and it is uh, an amazing sight if you take the time. Uh, probably about 9 o'clock or so uh, if you really want to be... Uh, detailed about it, but in central time, right around 9 o'clock, the full moon uh, should be floating up there or coming up above the horizon, and it's uh, a wonderful sight and beautiful tonight, as a matter of fact. In fact, uh, they call the full moon in July, among other things, a thunder moon, and of course, oftentimes on the summer evening, you know, you can go outside and you'll hear thunder and lightning, um, because of, uh, you know, summertime thunderstorms. But you can also look up tonight and see a brilliant full moon. All right, so it's the thunder moon tonight. I don't know if we'll have some thunderstorms out there in mid-Missouri. Hopefully not, because I like to see the full moon bright and and shining. Uh, Anyway, there have been some amazing photos uh, taken over the years of the thunder moon, and there's one in particular that I found today at spaceweather.com. And uh, it was from the Philippines, just an amazing uh, photograph of the uh, a cloud formation that sort of was just reaching up uh, toward the full moon. And there was a, a boat, the silhouette of a boat that was just sort of um, headed out to sea in calm seas that was underneath the light of this moon. And it's just a beautiful photograph. So anyway... Lovely things happen on full moons, and uh, nasty things as well, I guess, sometimes. So, Anyway, uh, if you look at the sun, you'll find that there's a big, giant sunspot, and it's one that we were calling, I think it was 898, if I remember correctly, but don't, don't quote me. Uh, but it's about out of the way anyway, but it was on the front side of the disk for the last few days, and it's now just starting to roll around off the western limb. And uh, when big sunspots um, go off, as they move around the disk and they start to head towards uh, towards the backside of the sun, and again, this is just from our perspective. It's not, you know, I mean, the, the sun is rotating, we're rotating, everything is spinning, um, uh, and and these sunspots and uh, phenomena that occur on the surface of the sun, they're all moving and dynamic too. So anyway, it's all just a matter of uh, of your perspective, but in our case. Uh, this particular sunspot is now moving over and off of the western limb of the sun. And when that happens, you can sometimes get a great look at, um, you know, these big, giant plasma clouds and streamers that 
uh, emanate from sunspots like this sometimes, and you can actually see them glowing against the, the, a backdrop of black space. And uh, it's amazing. They can be really beautiful sometimes and uh, quite, um, you know, awesome. You see the power of, uh, of this star of ours, you know. Anyway, so that's going on right now. What else? Uh, July 12th, uh, the Genesis Pathfinder launch. Coming up in just uh, a couple of days, we've got uh, a couple of comets. We, you know, there's always comets and asteroids that are making their closest approach to Earth uh, or, or near Earth flybys. I find them every week. You know, when I when I do my work for the show, but uh, this week no different. I picked a couple of them here. There's Comet T2001. That's going to get uh, reasonably close to the Earth uh, on July 12th. There's also a big giant asteroid. It's going to get pretty close um, on the 12th. We just had a very, very close call with an asteroid that had been designated XP-14 that passed by us a week ago. I was off the air. I took, I took the week off, but uh, I didn't do it because I was worried about this. <laughs> but anyway, I will say what you will. Um, this big 600 or 700 meter wide asteroid came inside the distance of the moon uh, to the earth. In other words, it came within 250,000 miles of our planet. I mean, this is as close a call as you get without, um, you know, without having an impact situation. So uh, it didn't happen, though, and uh, things skirted right on by. And if you were out uh, and about at the right time and at the right place on the planet, you could, uh, you could witness that thing as it was flying by, and it was quite spectacular. Again, in the nighttime hours, and um, again, it depends on where you're at on the planet. And uh, but it was very bright, as if it were, you know, a high magnitude star moving across uh, the cosmos pretty quickly. All right. So what else? Uh, Giuseppe Piazzi. Giuseppe Piazzi, uh, 260th birthday. And I mention that because it's sort of related to the conversation that Brian and I are going to have um, in 15 minutes. Because uh, this is a, uh, a Giuseppe Piazzi is someone who has this uh, historical relevance in uh, Christian and Catholic hierarchy. So he would have been 260 years old on the 16th of July. He was born in 1746, and he was a uh, an astronomer of note. And it's interesting how many um, astronomers and um, astronomical institutions, telescopes, etc., uh, have been funded by uh, and or run by and continue to be run and controlled by the Vatican. And you think, well, you know, what's their big interest? Uh, well, I don't know, but they certainly have one and have for... Uh, you know, many, many, many years. And uh, Giuseppe Piazzi is a uh, a man who falls in that tradition. Okay. All right. What else? Um, the Cosper Scientific Assembly is going on in Beijing, China, starting on the 16th. And the Space Shuttle Discovery is going to attempt to return to Earth on the 17th. That's a week from today. And uh, we wish them the best of luck. You know, 
I don't, I, I shouldn't jump to the news, but I will right now just because there's this one story that's uh, been in my craw, and I might as well uh, bring it up now because it, it makes sense to me to, to talk about it in um, concert with the space shuttle. This is a story actually that, uh, that came out five years ago, and I saw it, and I actually, I actually found it. Um, uh, the original release of it, and if you look at the at the at the uh, the headline here, and this is from the Guardian of London, but it was just re-released this week. So they, in other words, they have it's a six-year-old, it's a five-year-old article, but for whatever reason they decided to re-release it, you know, and try to float it again to see what see what trouble they could stir up. Um, anyway, the headline is NASA aims to move Earth, and the dateline is June 10th. 2001, so almost uh, exactly uh, five years ago. All right, and then the little subtitle here says, "Scientists answer to global warming, nudge the planet farther from the sun." Okay, I mean, it, it gets more ridiculous as, as I go, but I'm just going to force myself to read some of this. All right. Okay, scientists. Now, somehow, scientists. This is supposed to be some sort of uh, meta name, and if you're a scientist, you somehow have uh, some sort of preeminence, some sort of preeminent position over everybody else. Uh, it doesn't matter what uh, you say, you know, or what your particular science is. If you're a scientist, you know, listen up. Okay, so here it goes. Scientists have found an unusual way to prevent our planet overheating. Move it to a cooler spot. All you have to do is hurdle a few comets at Earth, and its orbit will be altered. Our world will then be sent spinning into a safer, colder part of the solar system. <laughs> right, okay. uh, this startling idea of improving our interplanetary neighborhood is the brainchild of a group of NASA engineers, go figure, uh, and American astronomers who say their plan could add another six billion years to the useful lifetime of our planet, effectively doubling its working life. I can't go on. I'm sorry. These are the clowns that can't even get a tin can like the shuttle up and down from a low Earth orbit. All right? It's absolute malarkey and silliness and a waste of everyone's time, money, and effort. And these men and women should be tarred and feathered and run out of the facilities that they've been privileged to work in. The same thing should happen in the congressional halls of this country it should happen in the in the courtrooms of this country it should happen in uh, all places of uh, established institutionalized uh, hierarchy because all of it is an absolute joke and the game is about up because people are seeing through all of your silliness and it's just a bunch of silly monkeys with a bunch of silly rules that, uh, quite frankly, don't have to be followed. And, uh, you know, the best story wins. And we'll find out uh, very shortly about lots of this stuff, I'm sure. So anyway, uh, brilliance, again, from NASA. Uh, how do we deal with global warming, which they don't even understand anything about. Global warming is a, is, is a complete misnomer to begin with. Uh, anyone who's really talking straight about this stuff will tell you it's simply 
global dynamicism, global change. Nobody knows what the hell is going on. Nobody knows what's going on. And anyone who tells you they got the answers, you know, they're, they're full of it. Head for the door. All right? And that includes primarily all, all, A-L-L, all of our established institutions who we bow to, send our money to, send our children to, and all this other stuff. I mean, they're the trouble. They're not the answer. All right? Duh. Time to freaking wake up. Okay, uh, what else is happening in space? Um, Monday, as I said, it's a full moon tonight, okay? Lovely. 38 degrees south of east at 9.36 p.m. if you're in East Lansing, Michigan. Okay, for those of you who want to be specific, uh, you'll see the moon appear on the horizon, or you will have already seen it. And it will have sort of a reddening thing that happens uh, even, in the, even in clear air. Uh, it's, it, that reddening is caused by... Uh, the scattering of wavelengths of light, um, and they uh, they leave the redder light to make it through the atmosphere best, and um, it has to do with this with, with this preferential scattering uh, of the air um, by short or, or by the air, I guess, of, of shorter wavelengths of light. All right, so. Anyway, uh, that's tonight. Full moon. It's the wonderful thing. The red star on Taurus is due south of the moon at about 10.50, 11 o'clock or so. And uh, if you look, about 21 degrees up, all right? Uh, tomorrow, what's happening in the skies? As the, as the evening gets dark tomorrow, you'll see Regulus. And Mars will be uh, to its lower right. You have to look in the west for this, okay? Low in the western sky as it gets dark. You'll see Regulus. And then you'll see Mars, which is sort of faint right now, and it'll be to the, to the, to the right and a little, little bit below Regulus. And you'll need some binoculars, uh, but uh, not, not to see that, but if you have some binoculars, you'll be able to see Saturn, um, which is just a, a few degrees, maybe 10 or 12 degrees lower and to the right of Mars. All right? And let's see, Wednesday, all sort of similar things happening in the West and... I won't waste any more time talking about that. Just get outside and uh, take a look up. It's always interesting, and you can always uh, find something that uh, that soothes your spirit. All right? And if you really want to learn about it, uh, get on the web and go to MikeHagan.com or go to CyberspaceOrbit.com or go to SpaceWeather.com or go to, um, oh, I don't know. There's lots of good dot-coms where you can learn lots of good stuff. And... Uh, one of the good dot coms that I've learned some stuff from recently, uh, recently is called rememberinghypatia.com. dot com, and it's amazing. Uh, it's an amazing story about an amazing woman, and we're going to learn all about her and uh, tell her story in just a few minutes. We'll come back with Brian Trent, and he is the author of Remembering Hypatia, among other things. We'll tell you a little bit of, uh, a little bit more about Brian when we come back, but it's five till the top of the hour here we're almost to midnight almost to the 11th of july so let's take another break here and play another song from joe stickley's blueprint what should we hear here this is traffic in harmonia (laughs) and uh 
We'll be back in just a few minutes, okay? It's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. You can find us on the web at uh, kopn.org and my website, mikehagan.com. And cosmicwavesradio.com is the way you can hear us streaming every Monday night, thanks to the people over there. And also, I should mention that um, I'm supposed to uh, actually read this thing, but I can't find it. Bottom line is this. If you support the station and you bring a friend to KOPN and turn them on to the station and they, and they join up and become a member uh, at KOPN, you can get a couple free scoops of ice cream over at Sparky's down on 9th Street. You and uh, your new friend that you invite over to KOPN can both get a free scoop. And the people over at Sparky's, along with the ice cream, are good. And so um, support KOPN and support Radio Orbit and support local community radio and businesses. All right? All right, there's my, uh, my shtick for that. Now, back to Joe Stickley's Blueprint. Talk in Harmonia. It's Mike, you listen to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia. Thank you. 
to is KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM and it's Mike Hagan Radio Orbit and uh, that was interesting you just heard uh, the computer completely freeze up I've done that to a couple people lately so anyway uh, we won't be playing any more of the promotional material from the KOPN studio computer and uh, now you know why we beg for money every few months to keep the station on the air. All right, hopefully the stream is still uh, uh, streaming. And I think we still got Brian here, and I'm certain of that, actually. And so it is Mike, and uh, you're listening to Radio Orbit. It's just past midnight on the 11th of, uh, of July now. And... Let's just get right to it. Let's get to Brian, okay? Uh, his name is Brian Trent, and he's an author and a writer. He's been published all over the place. Uh, uh, some really interesting stuff in the Humanist magazine over the last few years. And he has a website that is www.rememberinghypatia.com. I've spoken a little bit about uh, um, him and what he's about over the last hour or so, but let's uh, just get right to him and say hello. And welcome to Brian Trent. Brian, thanks so much for being on Radio Orbit tonight. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I guess uh, first things first. You're you're on you're on the East Coast, is that right, Brian? That's right, in Connecticut. Okay, you're in Connecticut. So thank you for uh, staying up late into the night uh, with us. I know the live programs uh, for people on the East Coast are not always the easiest uh, to do, but uh, but we appreciate uh, we appreciate you sticking around and doing it live because it makes. Uh, makes a big difference and so we've got that and um, let's start off by asking you a couple questions just about yourself uh, who's Brian Trench and where do you come from and what got you along uh, this path that led to the amazing Hypatia story that we'll talk about uh, for, the, for, the, for the next couple hours here well I mean writing has always been something I've been interested in uh, the creative process writing uh, and I've uh, pretty much run the gauntlet. I do a little bit of everything, I guess, uh, short stories and essays in particular. Each each kind of, uh, each form of writing allows uh, a writer to express something different. Um, you know, essays like the ones you were saying in The Humanist allow me to get into certain political and scientific um, and even uh, philosophical um, uh, explorations. Yeah, and the, one, the one on immortality that you wrote just blew my mind, actually. And I read that before I heard of, of you, before I heard of the Hypatia story. Oh, okay. That's actually, actually that's been a popular article. Um, I actually wrote that on a plane going to uh, Seattle to see a friend of mine in Seattle. And, uh, I had with me um, a copy of Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, and it, it, the theme. It's um, I mean, it's a great book. It's it's really it's one of the best-selling books by uh, 
by a ruler of a country, I mean, this being ancient Rome. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just really his personal diary. I don't think he ever intended it for publication. Uh, It's our good fortune that, you know, it fell into the right hands. Mm -hmm. So his theme of it, though, was really that you're going to die. It's inevitable. It's... um, and uh, the sooner you come to grips with that, the better. And I was reading it, and the sentiment is repeated so often that I thought, well, you know what? We, we face certain technological developments today that allow um, for us to think in a different way now, for us to realize that if you know, death is a mechanical process at least, maybe we can affect it. Maybe we can um, you know, increase longevity. And so I wrote most of the article on the plane. And uh, when I came back, I also I got in touch with uh, Dr. Michael Rose, who's one of the got to be like one of the top um, one or two percent of the uh, evolutionary biologists in the country. Hmm. Um, he had done some experiments with fruit flies where he has sufficiently increased their lifespan so much that they don't age anymore. Yeah, I've, re- I've read some of this. Yeah. I, 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 I wasn't familiar with the guy's name, but I certainly read the articles, yeah. And he's, he's pretty well. He's had um, you know, a, couple, a lot of things published, and mm-hmm. he actually wrote a book too uh, called Methuselah Flies, hmm. dealing with the experiment. And so I talked to him. Um, he gave me some of his time, and we chatted about the possibility of, um, of that um, being applied to humans eventually. And it was just kind of, a, for me, it was, it was a blast to write it just because um, I dealt with the, the consequences of that. I mean, what, what are the social, what are the philosophical, what are the political, what are the religious consequences of a society where you have ageless people? And um, we, uh, it was a great conversation, and um, I really enjoyed writing the article. And um, get a lot of... Uh, I got a mail about it. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I'm, I'm sorry to, to hang a left turn right off the bat like that, but for people who are wondering what the hell we're talking about, uh, this was a particular article, and uh, what was the actual title of it? Uh, by? The Future of Immortality. The Future of Immortality, that's right, and it was published in The Humanist, what, a year ago, a year and a half ago? About a year and a half, yeah. Yeah, and um, anyway, it's very interesting, and, and it's sort of outside of the scope, but maybe not quite, of, of, of the things we're going to be talking about tonight, and Aurelius certainly comes into the scope of things we're going to be talking about tonight, and... Uh, Anyway, so uh, back on track here. So a little bit more about you, Brian, before we get to Hypatia. Well, just um, as I was saying, I, I've you know write, written essays and, and short stories, um, uh, and I just you know naturally upgraded up to novels. Novels allow for a completely different exploration. Hmm. Um, I came across the Hypatia story while re- researching a completely different book. Hypatia is not my first book. It's the first book I've had you know published and out there uh, mainstream and, and, and selling, but. Um, it's, I've written several books before that. Uh, most of them are historical based. And I came across her story by accident. I was researching, um, and, uh, and I came across the story of the Great Library, which mm. was. Alexandria? Yeah, the Great Library of Alexandria. Mm-hmm. A library that's 700 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the greatest repository for collective knowledge. Uh, kind of like, you know, the great statement of civilization. All the great minds, all the right. works were there. Right. And just it fascinated me, and I inevitably, in reading about the library, I discovered her, and how she uh, how she was murdered, and how the library was destroyed. Right, her contribution to the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. And then there's no coincidence. You're talking about a shift right away from an age of learning and knowledge and all of that right away into an age of, uh, into the dark ages. Mm-hmm. So I knew I had to read the story. Hmm. Amazing. All right, so. Um Okay, uh, the website, www.rememberinghypatia.com. You can find Brian there, and uh, you can read a little bit about the book. You can even see excerpts from, I think, the first chapter that's there. And uh, just sort of a general synopsis of the story is there. And you can get there directly from my website as well at mikehagan.com. All right, so, Brian, let's just uh, begin at the beginning. And uh, 
the title of the book, Remembering Hypatia. Who's Hypatia? Hypatia was the last librarian of the Great Library in an era in which the post was always held by men, uh, and not just any men, but men of particular renown and ability and accomplishment. And again, this Great Library is... The Great Library is located in Egypt, uh, Alexandria, Egypt, the city founded by Alexander the Great. And it was... Uh, Alexandria itself, when um, I've given the example uh, of what Earl Robinson said when he talked about America, he said, um, all races and religions, that's America to me. Mm. And that applies to Alexandria. I mean, all different races, all different cultures um, living together in, a, in an ancient pluralistic society. Uh, even the library itself fused the elements of the great high cultures of the past, Greco, Roman, Egyptian, uh, with even influences of, of, uh, of Mesopotamia. Mm. So, um, and she worked there. She was, um, her post um, was achieved really through her force of accomplishments and I think the force of her personality. This is ancient Greece, ancient Rome era here, and uh, here's somebody who was a mathematician, a philosopher, an astronomer, a teacher, and the curator of the Great Library all rolled into one. Uh -huh. She she achieved the Renaissance man ideal 1,000 years before it was fashionable. Right, and a woman. And a woman. And a woman in a time when the role model for women back then was ever faithful Penelope from the Odyssey. You know, oh. mm -hmm. staying at home, waiting for her man, and um, her one act of defiance that she's afforded is to weave and unweave a tapestry. Um, that, you know, when she finishes it, then she'll choose a suitor. That's, that's as far as Penelope got. And then you have Hypatia, mm. uh, who is. Um, Really, a brilliant person, I mean, a fascinating, fascinating personality uh, in history, and one that's been relegated to the, the dimmest of footnotes. Yeah, the dustbin. Yeah, yeah. There's no question about it, and, and uh, I. It's weird because I've actually heard the name Hypatia uh, before. In other words, you know, women in in our age, you know, uh, that I've uh, run across whose name was Hypatia, and it sort of struck me, you know. Right. Uh, but I but I never really, you know, names are interesting to begin with, you know, Brian. I mean, the, you know, the etymology and the backgrounds of all of these words is really right. interesting. If you start to look at your own name, you know, I mean, you'll find out interesting things probably. Yes. But uh, but that was one that it wasn't just a normal name. I know it hit me, and I sort of went, hmm. I wonder what, wonder where that one came from or what that's about. So she's uh, but she's certainly not well known. And I and I I did. Um, uh, just to add one more thing before you really get going, I did a quick search on the um, on the web uh, before we went on the air. You know, mm -hmm. uh, just I, and I just put in the word Hypatia, and there was only one news story that I could find over a long period of time, and it and, and it mentions her. Uh, and it's it's a, it's this thing is called "There's Plenty of Hope in Egypt," and the snip that mentions her. I'll just read it really quickly. It says. Uh, uh, Egyptians were adept at using science, industry, and, create, and creativity to advance their civilization. They were the first people known to have separated copper from its ore uh, 4,000 years ago, blah, blah, blah. Experiments with steam power were carried out by Hero in Egypt at least 1,800 years ago, and Hypatia, born around 370 A.D., was the first woman to make a recorded contribution to mathematics. Uh, now they don't mention anything about the rest of her story. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, or, or I mean, it's sort of, as you say, just a side note. But she was certainly much uh, more significant than that's that's belayed there. But anyway, uh, on with it. Well, as you were saying about the name too, um, Hypatia itself in ancient Greek 
means most high. Uh, she was she was raised by her father. Theon was um, was an accomplished mathematician in his own right, and the rumor is that he wanted to raise when you know his wife. Uh, his you know her mother's never mentioned really in history. Um, as a novelist, I made what I thought was a very natural assumption is that she died in childbirth, which is very common back then as well. And the father was again Theon. Theon. Yeah. He was a he was also a scholar at the library mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um, an accomplished mathematician. Um, not much of a poet, they say, <laughs> um, but uh, he was um, really um, a great uh, great mind. And uh, when he wrote when he raised Hypatia, they said he wanted to raise a perfect human being. Uh, he certainly did imbue in her um, a passion for knowledge, a passion for uh, the sciences, a passion for learning, which, you know, as any good teacher does, too, a, a real good teacher with a capital T knows how to not just rattle off statistics to a student, but really get them interested in what you're saying and convey that passion. Right. And um, supposedly, I mean, she was an accomplished teacher, so she probably got it from her father. Hmm. Uh, and, and then ran with it. I mean, her her legend and her... Her personality and her reputation completely um, eclipsed his. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about her. What, what what's the earliest we we hear about her? Well, I mean, Hypatia was probably was born around 370 um, uh, AD, and uh, she uh, a lot of the stories about her are kind of cloaked in in legend. We don't know a lot because a lot of her was a lot of her uh, story was destroyed. Um, all of her works have been destroyed very deliberately. And her so name, there was a real attempt to erase her name from history. All right, so she had personal works that were uh, writings or whatever. And mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, and yeah absolutely. She, a lot of her works were in, were in uh, mathematics and astronomy in particular. Right. Um, again, you got to think, too, that different eras of history are marked by a certain, uh, the, the word is zeitgeist, I mean, mm -hmm. a real spirit of the age. And, mm -hmm. and in, in the classical world, that was a fearless inquiry into art and science. Right. Um, to, to literally reach the heavens, uh, which I think is why the astronomy uh, appealed to so many, so many right. different uh, uh, Greeks and Romans. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't abstract too; it wasn't just like you know leaning down on, on a beach and saying, "Oh, I wonder if those are what are, what are those you know, weird lamps up there." This is people who figured out how to measure the distances of stars uh, in theory, who charted the constellations, um, and even who speculated on um, on uh, you know, the possibility of other civilizations. Um, the Roman uh, Seneca. Yeah. who I quote in my book, said um, to assume that the Earth is the only inhabited world in infinite space is as absurd as to assert that on a vast plain only one stalk of wheat will grow. <laughs> so um, th these are very far-reaching people. It's always, yeah. <laughs> I joke with people and I say it's, it's always a mistake to underestimate the ancients. Oh, isn't um, that the truth? And, and, and they've left us not, not only the things that they've written and said, but also these tremendous megalithic, uh, you know, architectural uh, outrageousnesses, <laughs> you know, that, uh, that that anybody worth their salt will look at you and just shake their heads and nobody knows what's happening, you know. Well, it's funny, you mentioned um, um, Hera of Alexandria, yeah. and um, the, uh, just today, earlier, I was flipping through, uh, through the stations, and on, I think it was the History Channel was on, and they had this little segment about um, one of my favorite people in history, Archimedes. Oh, another one. And yeah, they, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, this isn't just a genius, we're talking about oh. a super genius. Oh, my gosh. Who, yeah. uh, and they have a pretty good case that he may have, um, he had designs for uh, steam-powered cannons, <laughs> and they've, they've shown that it could technically have been created in his lifetime. Hmm. You know, so people doubted immediately that he would have used these in war to defeat the Romans. Right. But now it's looking like, well, maybe he did use them. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, he was uh, interesting. He, yeah, he was amazing, and and you can go back and back and back, even even to you know, I I'm I'm very interested in the in 
the Neolithic and, mm. you know, times prehistory. And, uh, I mean, our, our ancestors were, uh, were much more uh, capable and intelligent than we ever give them credit for. And this idea of linear history is just one that's really... Uh, talking about the dustbin, that's All where right. that one should yeah. be thrown. You know? Of course, of course. So anyway, okay, so Hypatia, around, around uh, the middle of the 4th century or the end of the 4th century, she shows up and she is just this amazing young woman, right? Yeah, absolutely amazing. Uh, one of the stories that's you know, told about her, we don't know a lot about her history, um, this, the early history anyway. Uh, there's a rumor that she studied uh, abroad in Athens, and I, I did put that into the book as well, that mm-hmm. she... Uh, um, didn't particularly enjoy the experience over there because she certainly didn't stay. Um, I think she had to deal with a lot of sexism as well. And um, uh, I have a little commentary on academic elitism as well, um, <laughs> um, which we see. Uh, it's kind of, um, I think, I think she was definitely, if nothing else, she was a free thinker. Uh, there's a couple of quotes that are attributed to her that have survived the destruction of her works, and one of them in particular is, cherish your ability to think. For even to think wrongly is better than not to think at all. Hmm. So I have a whole section of the book where when she is in Athens, she runs into students who have devoted themselves to Plato and Diogenes and Demosthenes. And these students have become carbon copy replicas of Plato and Diogenes and Demosthenes. Right, just parrots. Uh, just, you know, the ancient ditto heads. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. People who don't really think for themselves, but rather <laughs> would have someone else pour words right into their right into their mouths and then vomit it back. Boy, isn't that, isn't, isn't that the story of We history? do it constantly. I mean, it's actually, today especially, the punditry in America today and the, the um, well, a, I, I suppose it's a related subject, but the, the insidious brainwashing of an entire publication. You said something, uh, of an entire population, rather. You said something earlier in your broadcast about, uh, about that very subject. Hmm. Um, and you just see it. I mean, we don't have debate in America today. We have blockheaded ramming contests. Oh, my gosh. It's just absolutely frustrating. But... Uh, uh, but I'm not sure. I, I'm not. You know, I'm not sure how long uh, and how many people are really. Uh, I don't know how. Lo- I just don't know how long that sort of thing works. You know. Mm, well, it's. It's. I don't think it's. That's why you know Hypatia being a free thinker of her era. I mean, saying that. I mean, cherish your ability to think. To think. Right. We're rational beings. That's the one thing that we have going for us. We have no. If you strip us down and put us in out there in the wilderness, we have no claws. We have no natural armor. We have no poison sacks or, or fur. And what we have is our mind. Hmm. Um, which is, as far as we know, the most advanced thing in the universe. In the universe yeah. You know, more advanced than stars. Mm-hmm. So, this is, um, and she, uh, just that, that philosophy alone is terrific. And But the thing is, and the conflict in the story, the historical story uh, in particular, is that that kind of attitude, that philosophy, that the human mind can unlock not only the secrets of the, of the world, but improve the human condition and, and really move us progressively forward, we're starting to be replaced by a completely different philosophy, which would dominate the next 1,000 years. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Twain put it very well. He said, you know, we saw a nation of men be turned into a nation of worms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, it was just a situation where you had a theocratic elite um, who shackled us. It said, don't, don't think, you know, heads in the dirt, blind subservience, blind obedience. Mm-hmm. Um, end of pluralism, end of free thinking, end of questioning. Instead, um, a nation of slaves. And um, her philosophy put her directly. She walked right into the crosshairs of the archbishop of the city. I mentioned earlier um, that she, uh, her father was very well known, and she eclipsed his uh, accomplishments. Well, the archbishop of the city was a guy named Cyril. Mm-hmm. His uncle 
was very famous before. His uncle um, had ended religious freedom in the empire. And this is the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, that's right. He had, um, before that, you, you know, religious freedom was tolerated of a sort. There were a couple of religions, like uh, religions of the Druids, they practiced human sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, the Romans didn't care for that very much. And, you know, there was you know, plenty of um, animosity between Rome and, uh, and the Jews. But generally speaking, there was a religious freedom. And in 391, when Theophilus was mostly in charge, uh, the Archbishop Theophilus, uh, Cyril's uncle, he ended, he, he got the emperor to outlaw other religions. He endorsed the state religion. You had one religion now that was being endorsed. Um, and uh, at that point, um, Cyril himself ended up ecli- uh, eclipsing Theophilus. Theophilus' accomplishment by driving the Jews from Alexandria by ending uh, debates among different sects of Christianity on penalty of death. <laughs> and then he also, then he went out to the library in Hypatia. So this is a guy who had his own dark resume. Well, it's amazing, too, the, the, uh, and, and we'll get to the, uh, the story of her death, uh, but let's, we'll talk more about her life first, I think, uh, before we get there. Um, uh, let's talk a little bit more about this deal in Athens. Um, there's an amazing painting that was done by the Renaissance master, uh, Raphael, yep. right, that's called School of Athens. Yep. And uh, you actually have, a, have a, uh, a link to this on your website. I have it right on the website, that's right. Yeah, and, uh, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words, so why don't you tell a little bit about this painting and the significance of it, and uh, we'll talk about that. Well, the painting is, is terrific. It's, um, it has all of the, this is painted in the Renaissance, Right, again, a thousand years after the fact, right? A thousand years after the fact, at least a thousand years. Um, and you have, you have Socrates um, there arguing with Aristotle. You have, uh, you have Diogenes. He's the one that's um, uh, sitting on the steps by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, you have all these different great luminaries that, you know, when you look back at the accomplishments of the species, these are your heroes. These are the people who you look back and say, wow, that's what we've done. And there's one woman, there's um, one prominent woman in the picture. And uh, the, the story goes that um, when Raphael first painted that, um, one of his patrons, uh, a, a religious patron, went up to him and said, look, he's looking at the painting and said, who's that? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, that's, that's Hypatia of Alexandria, daughter of Theon, uh, one of the greatest minds of the ancient world. Right. And the response was very swift, and it said, um, paint her out. Remove her. Yeah. Remove her. Right, um, because knowledge of her isn't conducive, um, doesn't, isn't something that we want the faithful to know about, essentially, is, is what the uh, sentiment was. Hmm. And uh, to Raphael's credit, so the story goes, um, he changed her a little bit and said it was a niece. Um, so uh, he kept her in the painting. Uh, but nobody knows, who, you know, nobody knows who she is. And he said, he said she was what? Uh, said he, he tur- turned her a little bit and said it was uh, somebody. It was the niece of somebody's uh, of like the patron. Oh, someone's niece. Exactly, a niece of a well-known. Uh, it's not the the bishop himself, but mm. um, somebody well well enough to know that he was able to kind of sneak her in. I see. Yeah. Amazing. All right. So so she's in this gang of uh, of of the most uh, renowned thinkers of all time, basically, mm-hmm. and she's. The only woman, basically, that, 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 that that's considered among them. That's as, right. As a, as a peer, basically, right? That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, she, so she had, um, you know, for people who had studied, you know, and knew about her reputation alone, um, even with her works gone, I mean, her, her reputation 
shown through the ages. Um, yeah, and and this, is a a this is a thousand years afterwards. A thousand years afterwards. Right? Uh, through the Dark Ages and now into the Renaissance, where she begins at least to get a little bit of a, uh, of a revival. Right, and there was, there was some knowledge about her, too, and people would say, well, how do we know anything about her at all? There's three major sources. There's a Byzantine encyclopedia called the Suda, which discusses Hypatia's life and death. Mm-hmm. And then there's two works by Christian writers, um, one by Socrates Scholasticus, mm-hmm. which is really a terrific... Um, it's really a terrific uh, report, essentially, on what had happened. It talks about her life, and it basically praises her. And when it gets to her death, it says, you know, this is not what our religion's about. Right. And, you know, the church never apologized for this. And then the guy who did this, he hasn't, uh, no punishment came on him for having this woman murdered. Um, the other source is Bishop John, the other Christian writer, and he revels in her death. Yeah, he calls her a witch or something. Calls her a witch and just really gets into it. I mean, um, you can practically hear the uh, the champagne bottles uh, huh. you know, popping. It's, yeah, he, uh, absolutely loves it. Right, and the, and the timing is interesting because, uh, in not just this story, you know, Brian, but the way that things get morphed, you know, things that the, the way things get twisted, as you mentioned, the Socrates uh, Scholasticus description of her death is, you know, b- b- gruesome. You know, and 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 uh, I guess. Well, I tell you what. I don't want to. Uh, I want to take a break. Sure. Let's take a break, and um, we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about this stuff. But but it is really interesting to see how the stories change uh, from the early reports, and then as as they, be, they they turn more from fact into propaganda. It seems like. Right. So okay, we'll continue. We'll talk a little bit more in uh, just a few minutes. Okay, Brian. Sure thing. All right, everybody. Uh, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia. My guest is Brian Trent. You can find information about Brian on the web at www.rememberinghypatia.com. And, of course, you can link right up to uh, Brian's material from my site uh, from here on out. Okay, so thanks to everybody who's listening. We'll take a peek in on the, uh, on the chat room uh, once I go to break here. But... Thanks for everyone uh, who's out there, and we'll come back in just a few minutes, okay? It's Mike, you to Radio Orbit. One more time, Brian Trent. Uh, we're talking about Hypatia of Alexandria, this amazing woman, and her story, uh, which is um, being told again, thanks to Brian Trent. And we'll come back and talk to Brian in just a minute, okay? It's Mike, you to Radio Orbit, KOPN. This is Joe Stickley's Blueprint. We're playing music off of their CD called The Eagle and the Pearl throughout the program tonight. This particular song is called The Soul of a Man. I hope you enjoy it. Okay. 
Joe Stickley's blueprint that's called Soul of a Man. That's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia. My guest tonight is Brian Trent. And thanks to Brian for sticking around and staying up late in the evening on the East Coast with us to tell us about this amazing woman whose name was Hypatia of Alexandria. And uh, Brian, hi. You still with us? Here, yeah, still here. Good. Hey, okay, so we've gotten to the point where. We know that she was killed. I don't want. I don't want to dwell too much on on her death, uh, at least not right now. I want to talk a little bit more about what she was doing as uh, an intellectual, and and then eventually, you know, what was so threatening about her uh, that she had to be killed in the manner that that she was, and then eventually not just killed but uh, erased from you know, the record books and history and all this other things. So let's talk a little bit more about her. She was a mathematician. She was a philosopher. She was uh, an astronomer. She was all these things. 
This was outrageous for a woman of the day, or what? This is highly unusual uh, for a woman of the day. It was, um, and why one of the stances I take um, as a novelist in, in describing this personality is, she was also ferocious. Mm. Um, to me, in order to to face the adversity she faced, and to get to a point where, I think this is the best tribute that you can ask for her. This is the ancient world. Now we're talking ancient Greece, ancient Rome, ancient Egypt, and all wrapped up into this magnificent city of Alexandria. People would refer to the philosopher, and they knew who they were talking about. It was Hypatia. Mm. Some people have been so far as to say the lady philosopher, but the philosopher, those two words, and you out of, out of a world where philosophers are a dime a dozen, right. they knew that's how powerful her reputation was. Wow. Um, and, I, and I think it's interesting, too. I wanted to really show her, because I'm, I'm certain in order to rise in that kind of world um, to the post that she had and to keep and to maintain the respect she had, she had to be ferocious. She had. Uh, she was audacious, and a lot of the stories that are told about her certainly say there's a certain level of audacity in her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wasn't a timid intellectual. This is a warrior poet mm-hmm. um, who was out there and uh, and fighting for what she believed. So um, it was a character that really appealed to me. Uh, and a lot of her care in the historical record also. She had a circle of friends of hers. One of them was the governor of the city, Governor Orestes. Yes, this is a big part of the story, right? A big, very big part of the story. Yeah. Okay, well, um, let's see. She, let me ask you this about her: was her relationship to her father? What was her What was her father's relationship to just sort of the general society? Was he uh, a respected guy with with regard to the church, for example, or was he someone who was also um, someone who was on the on the blacklist? I don't think he was so much on the blacklist. I think he more um, more or less. It never really came up. There's certainly not a lot of information about that hmm. regarding him. He just kind of never really jumped into the spotlight. Right. Uh, when you remember uh, great philosophers, you have to dig pretty deep to even, to really get into Theon. Um, it's really her we hear about. Hmm. Much in the same way that um, we talk about military um, minds, military geniuses through history, Alexander the Great is the first one to jump to mind, rightfully so. Uh, probably one of the greatest military minds ever. Hmm. Uh, we hear very little of his father. Philip, hmm. who was brilliant in his own right, but has been totally eclipsed by his son. So it's something similar in that respect. Um, and I don't think Theon really had the fire, uh, the willingness really to get out there. And um, and really, you know, if, if there's a quote by, uh, there's a Chinese philosopher named Mencius that I really enjoy. Hmm. And it I goes... Think, um, I think of Sun Tzu. Now you mentioned Chinese, but I'm thinking of the, the art of war, another amazing warrior. Another amazing war, exactly, and one of the most influential books ever written. Mm. Uh, Mencius said um, something that I think if Hypatia, if Hypatia's culture had uh, managed to contact the Chinese, I think she would have really enjoyed this. And mm. um, I dislike death, but there are things I dislike more than death. Therefore, there are occasions in which I will not avoid danger. And um, certainly Hypatia had no problem confronting um, the... Well, the thugs, really. I mean, that's the only way to really... To, mm-hmm. That's the only word that describes it. Right. Um, fundamentalists um, who were willing to use violence to further their own agenda. Sound familiar? <laughs> right. The modern world knows nothing about that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, in a lot of ways, that's, that's actually a lot of the a lot of the responses I get from this story is, is always pointing to the relevance. Um, unfortunately, it's something that still goes on today. Mm. Yeah, here in the Middle East and a lot of areas around all over the place. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, the book, and I think we should clarify clarify this. I guess uh, as a category, they would call it historical fiction. 
This is a this is a retelling. Every single major event happens in this book, mm-hmm. and I would say um, easily nine out of ten of the characters, all the major characters certainly, right. um, are historical people and are historically accurate. The thing about a novel which really freed me up, which was, um, I get it's more accessible when you fill in the blanks, mm-hmm. um, and to keep really true to the story. Take Braveheart for instance, the story of William Wallace. Right now. You can easily do, and I'm, and I'm sure there have been done many documentaries on his life and what he was able to accomplish, um, you know, against King Edward and, and all that story. Mm-hmm. Doing it as a movie and with a lot of respect with the, to the source material, not just jumping off into the place of mm-hmm. fantasy here, mm-hmm. keeping as close as you can, um, it makes it more accessible. Mm-hmm. You're able to get into characters' heads. Um, you're able to um, fill in the blanks, put meat on the bones, on the, on the skeleton. And that's what this allowed me to do. Yeah, and you can move it from a from a purely intellectual concern into something that's uh, uh, something that can be, um, well, I mean, for lack of a better word, as as entertainment. I think of the Dan Brown stuff. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's a tremendous amount of of uh, you know valid historical material in those books, and and again, they're frightening as heck to the church. That, right. You know, they hate this stuff. Well, a lot of people still know. think, I've talked to a lot of people about that movie, and, um, you know, there's kind of a backlash, of course, a predictable backlash. Mm-hmm. And the inevitable, uh, people love jumping to extremes, and that's a part of the, right. that's one of the biggest problems with this country in particular. Uh, but I think it's also, unfortunately, indicative of human nature. But there's, um, they right away want to dismiss everything in that movie. Mm-hmm. Well, the constant Nicaea was quite real. Yeah, damn a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's plenty of books of the Bible that were not included, and mm-hmm. that's a fact. And you can look it up anywhere. Yeah, um, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting stuff, too. And it's not, you know, I was raised a Catholic. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I mean, I was an altar boy. I did the whole deal. I went to Catholic grade school and Catholic high school, and I did, did the full-on indoctrination, you know. And I've been to the Vatican. I went there. I asked them if I could go into their library when I was 19 years old. Oh. You know what they told me? What's that? No. <laughs> that was when I basically said, okay, well, so much for you, you know, uh, because I, I've never been into hierarchies, you know. I'm not into secrets, really, for the most part. You know, if, if you've got a secret, I'm probably not the person to tell, you know. And I was very upset the more that I learned about the hierarchy and about the secrets and about the fact that uh, a good, faithful member uh, of the church who lit the candles and everything uh, could not have access to certain things for whatever reason. I thought it was absolutely abhorrent. Oh, sure. And, and as, a, as a young man, and, I, and I'm blown away that, that, that so many uh, are not offended by it. Because they don't know about it primarily. Well, Most people, history, you know, we talk about the three R's in education, but I mean, history is arguably the most important one. We were here today, we're standing where we are today because of things that happened in the past. Um, and, and that's it. I mean, if people don't know about it, you're, you inevitably repeat the same mistakes. And a lot of people just, they don't know about things. They don't know what happened. You know, and you, you mentioned this, and I have to add it, you, know, you mentioned this thing about the three R's. The, you know, there's only one R there. You know, it's reading. Writing begins with a W and arithmetic. Right. Is, and so this is how we've, you know, even that sort of thing, it gets to the point where the, the dumbing down has been absolutely outrageous, you know. Right. 
So, well, it's coming back, though, because uh, obviously people like you are doing amazing research and writing interesting and fun things to read uh, that aren't just relegated to the, you know, the history sections of, uh, of you know, intellectual libraries. And, uh, you know, it's interesting stuff. And why not? It's, great. it's a great story, and it needs to be told, you know. It is a great story. It's an important story uh, in more ways than one, too. I mean, it's just free thinking itself. Uh, I had written an essay, um, you know, dealing with, you know, the art of debate today. And, and I mean, it, it's, it's on a deathbed. Hmm. Uh, because not enough people are being free thinkers. We 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 live in a, a society that has become dominated by political cults, political priesthoods, mm-hmm. where um, nobody thinks of themselves. They get their, you know, they snatch up their news from the ta- different talking heads and different stations, mm-hmm. and then they think that's debate. And instead, it's a big echo chamber. Yeah, and, I agree. Uh, I agree fully. Yeah, I agree fully. And I see the same thing in science, actually, too. I mean, it's another priesthood, quite frankly. Uh, not that there aren't great men and women that are doing great things out there, in, you know, in all these different areas of endeavor. Uh, it's just uh, we don't hear much about about the amazing men and women, interestingly, like this one we're talking about tonight. You know, I mean, there's plenty of uh, people out there that are doing amazing and interesting work right now. I talk to lots of them. I talk to them every week. You know, but um, anyway. Uh, I don't see Hypatia's name or, uh, you know, splattered on the CNN screen. No, of course not. So, okay, so more, uh, a little bit more about her. So she she was obviously a tremendously respected. People referred to her as the philosopher in an age of philosophers. So um, why was she so despised? I mean, it seems like she was, okay, she, she's ferocious, and again, I guess it's, goes down to what's happening uh, in a cultural sense at the time. Well, a lot of it, again, it, she was despised primarily by Cyril and his followers. He wasn't very popular. Mm-hmm. That should be said up front. I mean, um, what was his position again? He was the archbishop, the, the patriarch of Egypt. The patriarch. Ah, yeah, there's, there's the word. Right. Well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right? And this is the problem um, with the woman. Uh, that's, I think that had a lot to do with it. He, um, quite frankly, I mean, he was extremely jealous of her. And, um, I mean, he considered himself quite a debater, but it's funny that he silenced debate, um, hmm. certainly silenced it among the different. One of the things in Alexandria, when I say pluralism, I talk about, you know, free thinking and having these, these wonderful debates. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it happened within the Christian religion, and, and he helped put an end to it. Like I said before, he had certain sects completely um, exiled on punishment of death. And, um, of course... Um, you know, one of my favorite points in, in the story is when he and he and Hypatia go up against each other in a debate. Really? Um, and um, well, and I'll, I'll save that for the readers to yeah. encounter on their own. But it's um, he he represents um, all that's wrong um, with fundamentalism and religion. See, that, that's the other thing too that's important to clarify. There is a universal difference between religious freedom and religious fundamentalism. Religious freedom is exactly that: freedom to worship as you please, provided you're not you know, infringing on someone else's rights, mm-hmm. not uh, mm-hmm. conducting uh, human sacrifices to play lock the Aztec rain deity. Mm-hmm. Um, but religious fundamentalism, they don't want freedom. They despise liberty. They despise democracy. What they want is dominion. Mm-hmm. What they want is the forcible imposition of their particular theological prejudices. A good example would be uh, the Taliban government. Yeah, Sharia. Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And here's a world where after the Taliban were overthrown, the people of Afghanistan were liberated. 
there were some people, there were pictures, I'm sure most people, most of your listeners will remember this, there were pictures of people, uh, men, happily shaving their beards. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they had to have the beards under the Taliban. It wasn't an option. Now, if they didn't have their beards a specific length even, you know, they'd be subject to tortures, imprisonment. If a woman dared wear anything other than her burqa, her body-length burqa that covered her from head to feet, she would be stoned to death. Mm-hmm. She'd be, again, tortured, beaten, I mean, horrible, mutilated. And, um, you know, I heard a story about two women who, uh, there was a house fire, and two women were in the house trying to escape. They were, the neighbors wouldn't let them leave until, the, until they had properly attired themselves. Yes, yes. So apparently, in the mind of these kinds of people, it's far better for their flesh to blister and burn mm-hmm. rather than offend some, uh, some deity who really cares about what you wear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's so, so outrageous. It's, it's, it is. It's and, and the thing is, after the liberation of Afghanistan, you're looking at a world where some people chose to cut their beards. The point is they had the freedom to choose. Mm-hmm. They wanted to, to wear their beards a specific length or continue dressing in the burqa in, a, in observance of religious dogma. That's their choice. Right. And that's the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is amazing to me, though, that a lot of these people who, who talk about liberty and freedom when it comes to matters of religion don't have a clue what it's about. Mm-hmm. Um, they mm-hmm. put forth a fallacy that America, as they say, a Christian nation, when it's not. It's a pluralist nation. It's not a secular constitution. Um, no question about it. No question. That. The first ten words of the First Amendment state, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Um, you know, and the, and the rest of that statement is, or, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Right. So, but um, they—that's again, talk about education. If people don't know something. You know, they're easy to believe the uh, the vociferous talking heads. Yeah, it's so amazing. I mean, the as a as a parent, you know, as a guy with with young ch- ch- child and soon to be children, uh, you history in the Constitution, for example, is not even taught anymore. No, unfortunately not. You know, uh, so it's, you're, you're right. If you don't know you have something, uh, you don't know when you lost it. Of course, of course. and it's, um, it's particularly interesting. And the Constitution should be studied because, you know, people who, you know, who like, you know, form, using the Koran as a basis for government or certain pundits and fundamentalists here want to use the Bible as the foundation for American government. The Constitution, in its own words, says it is the supreme law of the land, not the Koran, not the Bible, right. the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting to me that when an, a new president is elected, he swears an oath not to defend the sanctity of marriage or, you know, fight the holy war, fight with his holy warriors against Satan. He swears an oath to defend, protect, and preserve the Constitution of the United States. That's right. Well, and you know what? There's a whole lot of people that, uh, I mean, if we were really talking about accountability, that um, they'd probably... And sitting in different chairs right now than, than they are. Yeah. But that's been going on for a long time. Of course. You, you know, it's been going on for a long time, and I'm not picking on any particular administration. I'm picking on all of them, basically. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, okay, so Hypatia's in the same situation. She's got a ho- horrible situation that's, that's sort of developing. She comes uh, uh, out of and from a tremendous tradition, and obviously uh, her her background is one that that teaches her not only to be brilliant but also to be strong and uh, and to speak her mind and and to be a free thinker and to not submit right uh, so uh, this is during a time when submission is what it's all about it's starting to become starting to it's become. being pushed forward that's the thing people don't realize 
civilization is certainly the kind of civilization that we enjoy, uh, Western civilization with its, its ideals of democracy and freedom, mm-hmm. it's not inevitable. You know, right. um, certain yeah. fights that are lost, certain votes that are taken, certain, certain policies that are pushed forward can alter history drastically. It's highly unlikely that anybody, any Jew living in the early 1930s in, in Berlin could have possibly imagined what would happen in just a few years. So it's, um, and the same thing in Hypatia's time. Here is, she comes, she's a living embodiment, a concrete embodiment of the classical age of learning and knowledge. And um, in just a few short years, you're talking about the, the, the dawning of the Dark Ages, mm-hmm. where for 1,000 years, different people, astronomers, great thinkers, great artists, would be completely silenced. You know, witch burnings and crusades and inquisitions would be the the the, the bread of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, people would forget a lot that they had learned. So uh, she she came up against Cyril and uh, and his parishioners, yes. and it became a battle between her people, her supporters, mm-hmm. the people who would remember her, and um, and him and his uh, and his faction. And he was again the archbishop. Right. And it's interesting because I know that, or at least from what I've read, she actually had some prominent Christians that were pupils of hers. Very were, much so. Sinesius right? in particular loved Hypatia in, in a very platonic way. Um, he, uh, he cherished her. Uh-huh. Some of her, interestingly, a lot of his letters to her survive. Not her responses, of course. Of course. But, um, his <laughs> letters to her survive. Yeah. And uh, he, he absolutely worshipped her. Um, she was, he was one of her students and... Again, because he, her, what she's teaching here is using, I mean, however you want to look at it, if the product, if the, the product that is housed within our brain cases came out of the natural civil evolution, was a gift from God or both, mm-hmm. whatever it might be, it's something you use. That's right. Um, it's something you use to better yourself. I have a whole section in the book that talks about that. If, if there's another huge tragedy, and it's only a matter of time, I was watching, uh, not too long ago, there's this uh, problem that's literally boiling under Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ground is starting to swell, and there's going to be this extraordinary eruption. It happens, uh, I forget how, what the cycle yeah, is. Yeah, they call it a supervolcano or something Supervolcano, like yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it happened, I think it was like 74,000 years ago was the last time it erupted. Now, this is, this is starting to swell again. It's yeah, going to yeah. erupt. Yeah, I've been following it. I talk about it on the air sometimes. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty disturbing, actually. It's a terrific program. Oh, yeah, it's outrageous. Yeah, the, the <laughs> ground gets so hot where, like, animals can't even walk on it and things like that. And, and We're talking, like, a cataclysmic event. Right. And, um, you know, <laughs> science has shown a very high spotlight on this. How uh-huh. many people know about it? I know. You know? So what's going to happen is when this thing does eventually <laughs> erupt, you're going to have all these naysayers, the Pat Robertsons and Jerry Falls and all those ilk, we're going to be saying, oh, it's doomsday, it's the end of the world, it's judgment day, um, you know, let's you know, finish burning the heretics and, and, and do what we need to do, when actually science has been observing this phenomenon, and who knows, maybe there's something we can do about it. Yeah, it is. It's, it's crazy, and there are all kinds of things like that. I mean, right. Yellowstone is one of many uh, that, 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 could, that could unleash at any moment, you know. And it's... Now, there's some rock in the... Uh, there's some island... Um, where it's split also. The island is split, and there's this huge bundle of potential energy, this giant um, giant mountain that's poised to slide into the water and yeah. create what's called a super yeah. tsunami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is on and the Canary Islands. Right, okay, right. Yeah. And uh, how many people know about that? But no, rest assured that when that thing falls, 
we'll hear about how it was divine punishment. And the people, they'll, they'll throw their sales pitch, whatever it is. Right, right. Um, a, yeah, I agree. I mean, and it's... Uh, I love the fact that you bring these all all these different things up because I because I'm familiar with them and it's stuff that I like to talk about because for exactly those reasons you know that uh, they'll be they'll be utilized yeah. you know and 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 manipulated for a particular agenda when mm -hmm. in the meantime we're sitting here talking about so we're talking about exactly you know? nobody saw this coming yeah. like I said with Katrina right uh, there were plenty of warnings about oh. that mm -hmm. I hope someone's watching that that island by the way yeah you know I mean that's you know mm -hmm. that's a horrible <laughs> opportunity for some you know terrorist and i you know but um you know not, no, who, who knows about it? Who, who really the information's out there but very few people know about yeah it. yeah yeah the whole i don't know we could talk about the whole ter i i think the terrorists i don't know if they're out there they must be just the dumbest people around because uh it seems to me that there's a tremendous opportunity for terror, <laughs> and it wouldn't be that hard to carry out if you uh, if you really had the gumption. Right, and the uh, education know. too. I mean, a lot of a yeah. lot of them come from specific societies which don't have a separation of church and state, and certainly don't encourage a lot of education as right. well. Right, no doubt. No, no. So, anyway, okay. Well, look, let's. Uh, uh, you know, at the time before we go to a break. Would would Hypatia have been described as a terrorist? Um, I mean, she was described as a witch shortly after her death. A witch. She was described right. as a witch. I mean, you know, you know, you can use, we can, you know, invent and and, and use all kinds of different forms of newspeak. I mean, she was definitely a threat. Mm. Um, I suppose that some Orwellian society could have said, well, she's an ideological terrorist. You know, because mm. um, I mean, if you really think what a terrorist is. It's it's someone who victimizes the innocent. This is um, right. the difference between George Washington. You know, shooting at redcoats as opposed to creating fire ships and and you know pushing them into boatloads of British schoolchildren. I mean, that's right. the difference we're right. talking about. Right. So, right. I think I pay was uh, they considered her a witch. They threw, they smeared her as much as they could, mm -hmm. in much the same way that the Romans would later would um, previously had had uh, smeared Cleopatra. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. politics is very funny. Political uh, jabber and political um, opportunism is hardly an invention of today. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, look. Let's um. Let's take a break, okay, Brian? We'll come back uh, and, and we'll, we'll talk some more about her, okay? All right. This is uh, Mike, and you're listening to Radio Orbit. Interesting conversation. It's myself and uh, Brian Trent, and you can find out information about Brian at www.rememberinghypatia.com, and you can link there directly from my site as well. And we'll have this program up in the archives in uh, 24 hours or so. And we're also streaming live right now uh, on the Internet. So we'll play another song here from Joe Stickley's Blueprint. And uh, let's see, what do I want to play here? This one is called Little Indians. And we'll come back in just a few minutes with Brian. And I want to read uh, something at the top of the hour. Um, and then we'll have Brian uh, comment on it. And we'll talk more about this uh, outrageously cool woman, Hypatia of Alexandria and uh, the information in the library uh, that contained it. All right, it's Mike, you listen to Radio Orbit, and one more time, Joe Stickley's Blueprint. When you painted like a rose, I painted like a pond, I painted like a river, I'll be a little water gun. When weather storm 
Well, I'll think of you. Driving in the Beetle car to Berlin. A baby, don't you see? They're never gonna tear you down. The fever's in the factory, never gonna cool it down. But I'll be your story, your pound for pound. And I'm not gonna tell it this time around. Well, oh, Build a fire. I'm gonna join the band, and underneath the stars, I'll be a little comet man. When we're stopping you, just think of me driving in a beetle boat on the sea. Baby, don't you know? I'm never gonna let you go. The preachers in the family, welcome to the Bible show. I tell in our story, and it's gorgeous. And I'm gonna tell it well and enough. About the hand of twain and the ancient sun.
This is Jeff of the musical group Yachai. You have entered into a world of myth and magic, of light and dark, a realm where the heroes dwell, the multi-faceted gem of eternal truth is ever present. Welcome to Radio Orbit with Mike Higgins. That's from my good friends Jeff and William from Yachai, making great music themselves. And uh, you can find out information about Yachai on my website. Just go to the musical guests and, uh, or the music archives, and you can find out information about them and everybody else uh, who we play on the program here, including uh, this excellent band uh, that we're featuring tonight, Joe Stickley's Blueprint. The more I hear the CD, the more I like it. And that was called uh, Little Indians. All right, it's Mike, and you're listening to Radio Orbit. It's KOPN Columbia, just a little after 1 a.m. on July 11th. And my guest is Brian Trent. He's the author of lots of different things, but uh, in particular tonight we're talking about a book called Remembering Hypatia. And uh, it refers to Hypatia of Alexandria, this uh, uh, amazing woman that we've been talking about. And, uh, hey, Brian? I'd like to read something really quickly uh, uh, before we continue and then have you comment on it, okay? But uh, it has to do with this, this, this Christian uh, historiographer uh, who wrote a lot about Hypatia and is one of the, I guess, one of the sources that you were mentioning earlier. Uh, what was his name? Is, uh, Socrates Scholasticus. That's one of them, right? Okay. I just want to read a little bit about his description of who this woman was. And uh, because obviously something happened to Christianity uh, sometime between Christ <laughs> and, uh, and this particular time period. So anyway, here's, here's what the guy says. And he was considered uh, an extreme intellect of the time. Or, or, yeah, right? very, very respected. Right, okay. All right. There was a woman in Alexandria named Hypatia, daughter of the philosopher Theon, who made such attainments in literature and science as to far surpass all the philosophers of her own time. Having succeeded to the school of Plato and Plotinus, she explained the principles of philosophy to her auditors, many of who came from a distance to receive her instructions, on account of the self-possession and ease of manner which she had acquired in consequence of the cultivation of her mind, she not unfrequently appeared in public in the presence of magistrates. Neither did she feel abashed in going to an assembly of men, for all men, on account of her extraordinary dignity and virtue, admired her the more. And this is an amazing account. Yes, yes it is. It's a wonderful tribute to her. Um, I actually open my book with two quotes. Uh, one is just the very beginning, um, the first sentence, really, uh, from Socrates Scholasticus, and then as a point of contrast, I open it with the other quote from Bishop John, mm -hmm. who calls her this satanic witch who is beguiling people through magic, um, because, you know, knowledge and science is magic to the, uh, to the uneducated. So, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a terrific, um, it's a terrific story about Hypatia, um, terrific, uh, discussion of her life uh, by Socrates Scholasticus. And he was, and, and he was a Christian scholar, though. Christian scholar, historian, absolutely. Okay, so, uh, so what happened? 
It's just a matter of the hardline uh, fundamentalist elements. Um, you can have that in anything, in any political party or any religion. Um, but there's uh, there's a difference. There's, you know, unfortunately, I'm more moderate progressive views like that of uh, uh, Scholasticus. They um, they probably were, through sheer force of violence and uh, and brutality um, from the from his opposition. I mean, the opposition is what took charge. Um, it's um, we saw an era of of fanaticism take hold, and then through fear and through um, through fear and keeping people ignorant and making sure that um, you had like the like Mark Twain said, the nation of worms. Mm -hmm. um, no a wonderful way to keep people in control is to keep them frightened all the time. Mm -hmm. Again, the damnation, right? Yeah. Of, uh, of being uh, as uh, the famous uh, sermon by uh, uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God. That you know, you're you're in God's fist, and He's got you over this fire, and He hates you and despises you, and the arrow is aimed at your heart. Right. Um, you know, it's it's the special effects of the time, very very well written speech that keeps people petrified and willing mm -hmm. to do whatever you want them to do. Right, and we have a similar uh, setup today, just a different, uh, just sort of different makeup on it. The, you know, the I, I said this, um, you know, in some of the lectures that I gave before, um, the props change in history, mm -hmm. the costume alters, and there's different musical themes, but the actors and the plot, mm -hmm. unfortunately, stays the same. It's very interesting. Uh, you mentioned Neolithic. You're, you're interested in some of the Neolithic era and mm -hmm. you know, prehistory and so forth. Those people weren't any, any innately dumber than we are today. No, certainly not. Um, in some ways, they can be more clever, um, and right. it's just um, it's just a matter of, uh, of what the props were. And, right, and, and the culture. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, you know, Human beings, as such, you know, are, we have ancestors 140,000 years old that were basically, uh, you know, physically and physiologically the same as you and me. Right, exactly. Uh, and like you say, the only thing that's changed is, is what well, language gets thrown in there, which is really a strange thing. Right. You know, nobody knows what happened with that, uh, you know, 50,000 years ago or something like that. But uh, after that, gosh, the whole. The first thing they do is say hi. The second thing they do is learn to lie. <laughs> you know? And then uh, off we go to the races. So, all right. So Hypatia is... Uh, um, uh, she's around right at this time where the transition is taking place in Christianity, where earlier, uh, the early Christian, the earlier Christian periods, including, you know, this wonderful... Gnostic Christian traditions yeah. and, and and I mean wonderful wonderful teachings and information and all that stuff that goes back, but like so many things, it gets twisted and morphed and uh, manipulated, you know, and an, ag an agenda gets set forth and a hierarchy and all this stuff. So that's apparently what was happening at the time, and she was caught right in the middle of it. Right, exactly, and and, and it's it's really a tribute to, you know, it's um. It shows, I mean, that in, in the, we're talking about pluralism again. I mean, and how she, you know, talked about using your minds, and I, that, that appeals to, that talks about religion too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not necessarily an insult to the faithful that religion's a matter of opinion. No, yeah. you know, and that opinions vary. Uh, you have a march of deities through history's pages, and it's a colorful testament to imagination, to cultural values, to a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Bearded Zeus, mighty Thor, mm -hmm. bloodthirsty. Uh, the Totec, all these different deities. Right. Unfortunately, um, you know Cyril and, and his crowd, and the hardline crowd, much like um, much like a lot of what we see in the Middle East, uh, much like we hear from a lot of pulpits um, right here in America, 
is um, they're not interested in that. Mm-hmm. It's their way or else. Yeah, they get stuck on the metaphor. That's, yeah, exactly. That's it. And um, and uh, through all the protestations of thou shalt not kill, <laughs> it didn't um, it didn't change the fact that two very important facts. I say she was murdered in a church mm-hmm. by a man who is later who is now considered to be a Christian saint. Yes, he was canonized. Is yep. that right? Yep. And, he, and, and again, this is the person we're talking about is... Archbishop uh, Cyril. Cyril. Saint yeah, Cyril. Cyril, right. Saint Cyril. Saint Cyril. That's nice. Yeah, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, um, what are the circumstances of her death? We already know that uh, we know enough about her that she was absolutely outrageously uh, intelligent and w- respected and loved. And so th- there must have been a, at least a certain, I guess like you say, everyone turned into worms because she had to have a great number of people who really loved her. No, very much so. And in fact, the story is, um, I mentioned earlier that all the major characters, um, I said nine out of ten of the characters in the book are, are historical people uh-huh. um, based on the historic record. All the major events of the book are very um, well-researched and historically accurate. Um, but the major, one of the main characters um, is an invention, and that's Thesos. He's pretty much almost the narrator um, of the story. And even he, though, I based, uh, I think she wasn't just brilliant, she was also supposedly extremely beautiful. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of students who, well, who fell for her sure. and uh, attempted to uh, woo her. And we don't have their name, so what I did is I created Bezos as a way of giving them a name and a face. Okay, cool. All right. Right. And, um, you know, he's, uh, he's one of the, the characters who's behind her and, and um, who is changed by her. He's very dynamic, and her, his, her influence on him. Um, is part of that, and he does remember her, and the other people behind her do remember her. Hmm. Okay, uh, the book is called Remembering Hypatia, and I have to mention this. My friend uh, Pio, who's listening to us live, by the way, from Sweden right now, uh, he's in the chat room, and he just said, where's Brian been? He said, this is a great interview. I just bought his book. So, anyway, uh, thanks, Pio, for listening, and... Um, before I forget, we're going to give away a book. So at the next break, uh, at the bottom of the hour, whoever's listening now, if you're paying attention, call me at 573, what's the number here? Uh, 874-5676, and uh, we'll give you a copy of Brian's book. And it's uh, an amazing story. So uh, at the bottom of the hour, next time we go to a break, uh, just give us a call at... 573-874-5676. Whoever does that first, um, we'll get a copy of the book, all right? All right, and thanks to, to P.O. for reminding me that. <laughs> okay, so, um, all right, back to it, Brian, and let's talk about the circumstances then of, of her death. She w- Was she set up or...? or, or well, you know, I'm uh, not going to get into specifics on that, but I'll say that the manner of death that I describe for her um, I'd like the readers to encounter themselves, mm-hmm. uh, but I can say that um, it's extremely well documented, mm-hmm. blow by blow, pardon the pun. Uh, we know exactly how she was killed, in what way. We know exactly what happened to her. Um, Bishop John absolutely dwells on the details. He loves it, mm-hmm. uh, as I mentioned. So uh, we know how she was killed, um, and I did mention it was in a church. Um, so, uh, and that is, um, I was giving a lecture, not, it was about uh, a couple months ago, and um, uh, one of the, at the end of my lecture, I always have a Q&A with the audience, and a hand goes up, and it's this, um, this woman who said she really enjoyed the book, um, but she felt that Hypatia's murder sequence was extremely graphic, and it actually kind of bothered her, kind of sickened her. 
And I said, well, then I did my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it should buy. Because, uh, yeah, it's, it's extremely visceral. And this isn't something, it doesn't happen off stage. I mean, it's right there. Um, we know exactly how she was murdered. Um, and it wasn't, it, there was a mob there. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's something that uh, you know, the readers, you know, I would love to see them encounter in the pages because yeah. it really does bring home the tragedy of how it happened. Um, and what, what happened? Yeah, this guy, uh, Bishop John, uh, it's uh, his relating of of the of the death is pretty interesting when you compare it and contrast it to uh, uh, Socrates, uh, Scholasticus, the guy that we've been talking about a little bit uh, earlier in the program. Right. This is typical. This is the typical propaganda. He's, he was the people like him were the Jerry Falwell of the age. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, extremely intolerant, extremely hateful people who delight in tragedy, um, and somehow extremely effective, though. Of course, because again, you you it's very easy to to motivate people when you when you are preaching them that uh, you know in the, in the moment there's a tragedy, and I actually have there's a section in my book um, where Hypatia brings up she's arg- she's talking to one of her students, um, one of her more superstitious-minded students. Mm-hmm. On uh, Erasmus, and the subject is brought up about natural disasters, specifically Pompeii, which erupted in 79 AD. Right, the Noan Crete. Right, and, and um, the mention is she brings up um, a quote um, from, a, uh, uh, from a very famous Greek um, who says, uh, was studying epilepsy, and said that um, in his time, he said, People think epilepsy is divine because they don't understand it. But I propose that one day we will find out what causes epilepsy, and in that moment it will cease being divine. So it is with everything in the universe. And she she applies this to you know the, how the volcano erupted. It wasn't God punishing things. Volcanoes erupt, mm-hmm. whether there was a human habitation there or not. That volcano was going to erupt. You know, there's a whole science behind the mechanics of why that happens. It's not a tragedy when a volcano. Volcanoes erupt all the time. When a volcano erupts, or you know. Trees fall in the forest all the time. They're only tragedies if someone's sleeping beneath, and then people say, "Oh, it must have been the uh, hand of God or the hand of the devil." Mm. So, um, you know, this this factor of natural disaster comes up, and uh, she says that when waters rise and swallow crops, we count on one another to plant those crops again, to rebuild homes, to care for our sick. Some blame God and demand we make sacrifice to Him. And she says to Erasmus, she says, "If your village was being flooded, would you?" Butcher your daughters like Abraham tried with Isaac because a priest told you God demanded it? Or would you try to build canals to divert the water, realizing there's a mechanism to why floods happen? Mm-hmm. And um, there's a, and that, that's the difference. I mean, you have, when there is a tragedy, uh, you know, right away people, they want explanations and they want comfort immediately. And no, there's no exception to that rule. You know, I remember 9-11 very clearly. I remember how, how devastated I was when I heard about the tsunami that, that hit Asia or the Hurricane Katrina or these different things. I mean, these do affect us. And there is a tendency to want really quick answers. And these opportunists, these despicable opportunists, right away come up. God's This happened because we're being punished, because we're embracing, you know, insert sales pitch. Right, Secular philosophies, homosexual marriage, you know, whatever it is, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, they're, these are the worst kinds of people, because a lot of other people, a lot of you know, a lot of the public, they don't, like we said before, they don't understand that's how why tsunamis happen. I would love to see a poll done 
for people to ex- for you know most people and see if they can explain what causes it tsunami. <laughs> you know, I would love to see that because um, I'm pretty certain what the results would be. Yeah. And it's um, and it, it, it's funny because we have more. We live in an era in which we're alchemists. You know, we can we can harness information from the air. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no real excuse to not know certain things. No doubt um, about it. I mean, what we have at our fingertips today—it's everything John D. would have ever asked for. You know, uh, so right. you know, it's a, it's a world where, um, and, you know, when, and especially there's a joke about you know every, whenever there's a new war, everybody becomes you know experts in geography. <laughs> right. Um, and you know, I mean, I'm no exception to that either. I mean, there's certain places, certain problems happening. It's like, well, where is that? Right. And you know, but then the follow-up to that question is, well, let me find out. Mm-hmm. You know, let me. Open up a palace or open up a turn into a globe and, and, and see. Right. So, you know, and unfortunately, a lot of people don't. Um, and certainly, you know, the follow of most people don't want people to know this. Um, and they like to say, ah, oh, this is the hand of God. Um, you know, this hurricanes, this he's stirring up a big cauldron here and causing problems. Which is also very interesting to me, too, because, you know, if that was the case, I mean, yeah, we know why these things happen. And, and we count to one another to to repair and hopefully try to stop these things at least deal with them. Right. But if these things were influenced by some other force, um, why would you bow to that? Mm-hmm. Why would you bow down to some kind of force that exhibits the same values as a as a leader of Germany 60 years ago? Right. That destroy. That destroys and kills and murders. Right. That's, that's not. Uh, yeah. So um, it's just interesting to me. It's it's just about the more people know. The more people are better equipped. Um, you know, there's a hurricane right now that's been raging for 300 years on Jupiter. Right. Nobody's up to, if there were a colony on Jupiter, um, let's just forget the impossibility of that for a moment. <laughs> but uh, if there was a colony, you know, the uh, the extremists of um, of that era would certainly be saying, you know, whatever they could, that this is... Um, right, here comes the giant exactly. mistaken big exactly. red spot, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. The red spot, you know, right. 80s, whatever they want to call it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, but this this stuff happens all the time. So, but again, if you you realize these things, we count on one another to help it. Mm-hmm. So, I think she brings up this this issue of natural disaster. Mm, very interesting. Um, and look, I mean, take a look at the, and of course we have each other to depend on. Look how many people there was some. I'm trying to remember this that now. It was really amazing. It was like three out of four people, or three. I don't remember the exact number, and I don't want to, you know. Yes, at it, but a lot of people, it just suffice to say, a lot of people gave uh, money and, you know, really poured into the charities to help these people who were suffering from the tsunami, who were suffering from Katrina. Um, and that's terrific. And that was, that was people doing it, you know? Yeah, but and then you good, have these other good, people, like, intention. you know, other people who say, well, I actually, um, I was directly privy after Katrina who said um, that this, you know, there's really not much that, you know, we shouldn't be talking about um, trying to prevent things like Katrina because this was God's punishment. Um, so, uh, yeah, that went over real well with me in the room. I bet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, yeah, so that kind of that kind of stuff is what I, I just really, really can't stand. All right, so, and it's really interesting because... If we look at history, this thing with Hypatia went down 1,500 years ago, 1,600, 1,700 years ago, right? Yeah. Plus or minus. Right. 1,600. So, a thousand years after it happened, we talked a little bit about it, but but in, in the Renaissance, where the troubadour tradition sort of 
uh, reminds me a little bit of, of her. She reminds me of a female troubadour. Mm. Um, but but anyway, uh, they sort of revive her a little bit, right? I mean, she gets uh, a, a, li- a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of press. A little, a little bit of little press, bit of at least. And then, and then again, now for the last 500 years back in the, in the catacombs, or, I mean, has there been anything said about her, really, uh, b- b- up until the point where you decided to... Well, not much. I mean, uh, Edward Gibbon certainly mentions her in uh, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Um, right, right. There was, uh, there was a book written, um, Defending Hypatia. Mm. Um, it was nonfiction and primarily a political piece. And then mm. there was someone who wrote a book in response to that, um, that basically, again, celebrated her, her death. And, um, uh, but other than that, really almost nothing. Uh, now, there was a study done on her life a few years ago um, by uh, Maria Zelska called Hypatia of Alexandria, um, which, you know, is a good study overall. Um, makes a couple strange assumptions and doesn't justify them. Like, uh, she, she makes the supposition that Hypatia was 65 years old instead of 45 years old when she died. Which um, is well and good, but there's no evidence really that she just makes the assumption that Synesius was older than her, and she says that essentially she doesn't believe that Synesius, who was older, would have taken instruction from someone younger than him, which I think is preposterous. Right. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting study, and she obviously has passion for the work and respect for Hypatia and gets into a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. But for the for considering the uh, the extents. Uh, of of her of her knowledge and the things that she was uh, considered in the culture, it's amazing how little is left. I mean, there was there must have been a tremendous effort made to, to eliminate her and her work. I don't think it was that hard. I mean, when you had um, when you had the widespread destruction of knowledge, and you know the churches are controlling the schools and the and the library. What happened to the library? Library still vanishes from history. Um, and there's different stories of why and, and what happened. Um, most sources agree on two points. I mean, you had a widespread destruction of quote unquote pagan works under the Christian rule of the city. And then in 646 AD, Muslims conquered the city and they destroyed the quote unquote infidel works. So a one two punch and uh, library vanishes from history. So, um, and then, you know, no, it's not no surprise that, uh, I mean, some works survived, sure. But I mean, you know, there are probably you know some people at the great bonfires in, in in Berlin under the Nazi regime. Some people probably pocketed some of the books rather than tossing them in flames. Do you do you celebrate? You, you congratulate those people, or it, it's a strange thing. I mean, so um, a lot of works were destroyed. Some were kept, um, but a lot of knowledge was lost. I mean, one example I give when I talk about this is one of the books that exists back then was written by Eratosthenes, and he had figured out. And I have Hypatia talk about this and use this as an example of what the human mind can do. He had accurately figured out the size and shape of the earth, you know, more than 2,000 years ago. So, and that knowledge was lost. I mean, Columbus, if that knowledge wasn't lost, you know, Columbus wouldn't have thought he reached India, he would have realized the world was bigger. And, you know, would have probably naturally been able to deduce that there's room for more continents, much in the same way that um, Australia was deduced. Its existence was deduced before anybody reached it because they realized there's plenty of room there. Right. Uh, the unknown southern continent. So, um, but yeah, the knowledge is lost, so uh, we forgot about that. And, and the, real, the real thing that bothers me and should bother every single person in, in, in society is the amount of medical knowledge that was lost. Mm. Um, we're talking about, there was a terrific uh, 
another super genius, uh, way ahead of his time, named Galen, who had written some 15 book set on the uh, on the human anatomy and physiology, and had done phenomenal, uh, made a phenomenal accomplishments in surgery. And um, you know, a lot of his works were lost, and, and so we had to go back to you know believing that blood just switched around in the body, and all these things had to be rediscovered. Oh yeah, I mean, and 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 we're still sort of under the the shadow of 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 allopathic medicine that's so barbaric in many many uh, cases you know in right now in the west where we consider it oh we have this wonderful medical establishment well, much of it is brutal and, and it, there's a whole lot of propaganda there just like in some of these other things we're talking about mm. yeah it's, it's it's just one of those things the amount the amount that we lost is, is tragic i mean this is this is the greatest tragedy in history arguably <laughs> because um the loss of the knowledge i mean there's there's a lot of it's not just an issue of a body count in history, you know. Right, right. Um, as tragic as you know, as, as huge losses of life can be, there are deeper tragedies that tie into that and and and, and really knock down certain dominoes in history. Mm-hmm. And this is is really uh, Carl Sagan said this was like civilization gave itself a lobotomy. Yeah, he talked about her in Cosmos. Or, or, he does bring her up in Cosmos. Right? Um, I haven't seen the show in a very long time, but I. I have a memory of him w- kind of walking through a, uh, I suppose it wasn't even computer generated then, but uh, some kind of uh, simulation of the library. Right. Um, right. Amazing. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, we're, we're at the bottom of the hour. Let, let's take another break and we'll come back and we'll talk for uh, another 25 minutes or so and, uh, and wrap things up, okay? Sure. All right, everybody, uh, we'll be back in just a minute. This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to uh, Radio Orbit, and my guest is Brian Trent. And his information can be found on the web. You can get it through my site at MikeHagan.com. And you can also uh, go directly to his site at www.RememberingHypatia.com. All right, the phone's ringing, so somebody wants that book. So let me uh, put on this music here. One more time, Joe Stickley's Blueprint. This is called. Uh, this song is called Vandalia Pain. And we'll come back in just a few minutes with Brian Trent. One more time on the web at MikeHagan.com. And this is Joe Stickley's Blueprint.
Joe Stickley's Blueprint, Vandalia Payne. I like it. That is uh, from their new CD called The Eagle and the Pearl. Great stuff uh, from Sean and Danny and the rest of the gang. And thanks for sharing the music with us tonight, okay? And if you like the band and you like the music, you can find out more information on the web at MikeHagan.com. Just uh, click around a little bit, go to the music archives, and you can find information about Joe Stickley and uh, their project, along with... Uh, the great majority of uh, uh, music that's been presented on the program for the last uh, year or so. Okay? All right. It's Mike. It's Radio Orbit. It's uh, 1.35 in the a.m., which means it's 2.35 a.m. Uh, in Connecticut, where my guest, Brian Trent, is uh, trying to stay awake and doing a great job, as a matter of fact. And uh, um, uh, here with us uh, for another... Uh, 20 minutes or so. So, Brian, thanks for sticking around, first of all. Certainly. And uh, I want to say uh, congratulations to Teresa. She called from Jefferson City, and she is very excited to have a copy of your book. So we'll take care of that off the air. Wonderful. Um, and uh, also, something that I have to remind listeners of, and then, Brian, we'll get back to uh, our conversation really quickly. Uh, on the 14th of August... We are going to have uh, a birthday party here at the station. It's the two-year anniversary of this program, and uh, I'll tell people more about it as uh, as we get closer. But uh, Teresa, you're invited 
along with, uh, well, some other people who will soon to be named. All right, so, uh, Brian, please continue. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the library a little bit more and about this new library in Egypt. Yes, the Bibliotheca Alexandrina. The Bibliotheca Alexandrina is the, um, a little history on it. I mean, the Egyptian government, uh, just a few years ago, decided to recreate the Great Library. Um, I mean, first of all, it was, it's very interesting. This project was, was proposed, uh, I think, in the early 90s, and the international contributions have been immense, uh, first of all, which is wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And the unveiling of the, uh, of the library was also international. It had a lot of different cultures there. When was the unveiling? The unveiling, uh, I'm trying to remember now. Or roughly? Uh, just a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, and... Uh, it was. Um, it had uh, people from Spain and Greece, and um, uh, China itself. Interestingly enough, had contributed an immense amount of money to the project, um, hmm. asking because they wanted one wing of the library talking about the accomplishments of Chinese civilization. Yeah, again, tremendous that nobody knows about. You know. Eh, yeah, I know. Um, which is, uh, and, and the, frankly, I mean, the, great, the new library is, is much bigger than the old one. It has um, millions of books, has billions of web pages archived, hmm. um, and I mean the. The expressed desire of those behind this project is that it will be a uh, light into the future, a place for, for study and uh, for tolerance and for progress. And, it, you know, my question, of course, is, I mean, I think it's wonderful. I think it's a great thing to say. I think it's a great um, goal to set. But um, I'm wondering how anxious they're going to be to stock certain political cartoons, mm -hmm. let's say. Mm -hmm. Um, or perhaps uh, you know the works of Rushdie, and and um, you know the question is, will it burn again? Mm -hmm. I mean, one advantage. Well, <laughs> this is a double-edged sword. <laughs> one advantage we have today is that uh, there isn't a single library. Information is so widespread, and it's available at 186,000 miles per uh, miles right. per second. And yeah. um, you know that's very good. The other problem is there's something that I call the digital razor. Mm. Um, we see this in a lot of movies lately. We see this um, in a lot of different places that there's this shifty way you can get in and censor and change things. When everything is digital, this, this um, perverse sleight of hand can take place. Oh, Almost I mean, like the, um, yeah. if you ever read Animal Farm of George Orwell, oh, yeah. the animals had painted on the wall this, um, these commandments that they were going to live by, these rules of conduct. And the, the pigs, who were the ones in charge, really, the elite, they were slowly starting to erase the, the and, and shorten the list until finally there was only one, um, which you know very, um, you know, very accurately described the kind of communist uh, ideology, um, and uh, it was that's kind of happening today. And a lot of movies, uh, I rented a movie not long ago that I had seen um, when I was younger, and I have a you know fairly good retention, mm -hmm. so um, I remember this movie very well, and I rented it. For a friend of mine, we're sitting there watching it, and an entire sequence had been taken out and replaced with a new sequence. Isn't that amazing? And I'm, you know, I remember I, I, li I leaped forward, and I'm like, "What?" You know, I paused the thing. I'm like, well, "You don't understand." I try to explain the scene to the to my friend. Right, right. He thinks um, you're crazy. Yeah, and, and <laughs> exactly. So, and, and and this is something where there isn't the uh, you don't smell the burning of the scrolls and the, the papyrus, but there's still the threat of censorship in much more um, oh, much more horrible ways. Yeah, and it's, it's just, very insidious. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I think that we see that. You know, I've actually had a similar experience with music, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, where songs are tweaked. Mm -hmm. 
right. uh, and this sort of thing. But certainly there's a tremendous effort to control language. Yeah. Uh, and this is a big part of the problem, or maybe maybe a root of the problem, you know. And I think when you when you look at a person like Hypatia, uh, she was a master of language. Right. Right. I'm of sure. Course. And and uh, and and that's so dangerous because the masters of language can communicate really well with the masses, you know, and they can communicate a different message than the fear. Well, of course, well, if you want, you know, to really laugh um, at, at how things change and, and in, in the very subject you're talking about, you know, get transcripts of any of the last few presidential debates <laughs> and then read them and then read some of the orations of Cicero in Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have, I, I mean, you know, I would have loved to have seen him rip into these people. I mean, there's just no, talk about um, you know, one of the finest masters of language in history. Mm-hmm. Um, it, he wielded words the way a master fencer, mm-hmm. uh, the way the greatest samurai might wield a sword. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we don't have debates nowadays. We have these pre-scripted, you know, shows where you have, where they're practically sock puppets up there. Oh, uh, so it's at, it's unbelievable, and it's only it's only getting worse. Oh my gosh! You know, Brian, I um, you know, I'm a fan of history like you are, and I one of my favorite historical speeches to listen to, and I try to do it every once in a while, is uh, Dwight Eisenhower's uh, the last speech he gave when he left the presidency in 1961. Okay, it's his uh, uh, departure from office, right? And man, this is a real president. Speaking, right. you know what I mean. I mean, he lays it down and he says, "Look out for what's coming. The corporations are going to take over. The the, the military-industrial congressional complex is overwhelming. I'm telling you right now, you got to pay attention." <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. he was totally talking to his fellow Americans in a true sense. I really felt it. And man, not 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 since then have I heard uh, a man, a president, speak like that i hear nothing but canned bs and and also i mean really um just kind of well you know jefferson said something i absolutely love which is dissent is the highest form of patriotism wow let's talk about jefferson for a minute oh. <laughs> huh yeah one, one of my favorite people in yeah history. i know i know he i know he is what was that quote again dissent is the highest form of patriotism huh. you know a lot of people you know, again we're not you've got to if you if you love the ideals of America and you love what the country stands for, was founded upon, you have to understand what liberty is. You have to understand that dissent is a part of that and is an essential part of that. And um, you know how dare anyone try to say? I, I've seen you know different editorials by uh, uh, different people saying, well, these people who are criticizing X, Y, and Z, they're hiding behind the First Amendment. Hiding? They're using the First Amendment. That's they're right. utilizing the First Amendment. For exactly what, what it was meant to be used yeah. for. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and too many people, um, this is a, uh, a real problem in the rapidly diminishing media hub we have today. This is a problem in everything where people, a certain segment of the population wants to be cult members. Mm-hmm. You know, the only thing missing is poison Kool-Aid. They really, they want to be out there and they want to just be echoing the verbatim, the exactly what they hear instead of thinking at all. Mm-hmm. They're really thinking about it. I've had some hysterical and this is not something that's only levied against, uh, you know, um, quote-unquote conservatives. This is against liberals as well. I've seen it. I've had hysterical conversations, um, um, hysterical after the fact when I think about it, and I have to laugh um, at the way 
people kind of walk around, certain people walk around bandying these pre-memorized um, passages and opinions, and then when you really cut through it and you, you get to the heart of it, um, the reaction is really funny. It's almost like um, the maturian, maturian candidate, where they, they just kind of fall into this pre-hypnotized statement. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's really amazing. I mean, people need to, everybody, whoever they are, whatever political party they belong to, whatever religion they belong to, they have to be a free thinker. Otherwise, if you swallow every pill from your chosen political party, you have ceased being a rational person and become a cult member. No doubt. And um, it's just time for people to, it's really time for people to get out there and start thinking for themselves. Right. And, sh and how dare any, any government agency or anybody at all try to tell people not to do that. Fully agree with you, absolutely, Brian. And, and I, I think that, you know, anytime you define yourself as a member of a particular group, you know, or ideology yeah. or whatever, you know, people have to recognize that when you do that, you really, really give away all of that which is unique and uh, and special about yourself. You know, in other words, you 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 now collapse everything about you into a word. I'm I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I'm a conservative. I'm a Jew. I'm a Christian. I'm a Muslim. And but. But you're not. You're all kinds of things, you know. All yeah. of us are tremendously sophisticated and complicated individuals, and we're more than just these words. And so I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I, I'm so uh, anti-ideology in general yeah. uh, that, uh, and 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 that equals free thinker, bohemian, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's great. And I love this. I love the story of Hypatia, and I love the story that it's that. Uh, but it's a woman's story too, because Very much so. because the feminine uh, has had enough uh, uh, of you know. And I'm not looking for a matriarchy. I'm looking for a partnership. Of course, well, that's, you, know. you know, that's the whole. I, I agree completely. Um, but I have a section, a brief section in the book where when, when Hypatia and Cyril are arguing, uh -huh. and this is the only two lines I'm going to give from that argument. But Cyril, you know, absolutely enraged at one point, says, you know, once again Eve plucks from the tree of knowledge, and she responds with, while well, Adam prefers the bliss of oxen. And that's you know that's it. It's um, you know I, I'm not an ox. Really? You know I'm not going to sit there and, and look at the world stupidly and, and blink and, and and you know chew and and that's it. Um, mm -hmm. You know I have we all have in our in our heads. Every single one of us has the most advanced organic creation in the universe. That's right. So. All right. Well, an amazing story, Brian. So, okay. What what else? Uh, uh, what else are you up to? I'm curious. You're an interesting guy, and you've and, and you've written some r pretty diverse stuff. I've been looking in, you know, into your historical archive, and a lot of different stuff. Very interesting. What wh what do you got coming up? What's uh, what, do, what are you working on? Well, I've written a couple of those books. Uh, I wrote um, while um, I was on final uh, final edits of Hypatia. I was over in Japan because my next my next book, uh, next historical book, anyway takes place um, in primarily in the Orient, uh, China and uh, Japan, um, beginning anyway at the reign of the first emperor, uh, Qin Shi Huangdi, who is um, a real, uh, you know, also presided over a great book burning um, in the East um, for his own despotic reasons. And uh, that's only that's not really the theme of that story. Each of my novels deals with a different theme, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I, I take it very seriously. It's, 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 so it, it starts. It starts with that, but it gets into more of a theme of relationships 
with civilization as a background. Um, and that one, I mean, eventually, you know, we, right now my focus is on promoting my patient, getting the story out there and talking about it, because I love talking about mm-hmm. it. And, um, um, you know, encouraging that kind of debate, and, and eventually, you know, I'll get some other uh, books out there. Um, a friend of mine and I actually, uh, uh, I suppose, you know, this is news at the moment. We have a major studio uh, looking at the screenplay. Um, don't want to say too much more than that right now, no, but uh, that's big. Yeah, um, and you know, I have a lot of other things. I mean, you know, art is is very sacred to me and is very important to me. And I don't talking about free thinking. I, mean, I don't like to pigeonhole myself into one particular kind of um, of expression or one particular genre. Even I mean, yeah. I do enjoy historicals, but there's a lot of other things that I do write and uh, um, a lot of other subjects that I can keep and tackle. And certain subjects can be tackled, uh, you know, best with history or with uh, contemporary, with drama, um, with science fiction even, I mean, with, um, with whatever it might be. The idea is there. There is a vehicle that exists to express it. And if there isn't a vehicle, guess what? We can come up with one. Um, yeah, no question about it. All right. Well, um, what else? Got anything else you want to close out with here? we got a couple well, not more too minutes. Much else. I mean, just I want to thank everybody very much for listening to me. Um, and, uh, you know, if you, you know, please uh, enjoy the story, <laughs> uh, feel free to visit my site, um, www.rememberinghypatia.com. And um, I mean, there'll be, there's a lot more to follow. Um, I'm just kind of warmed up. So. All right. Well, good. Well, we'll stay in touch and uh, uh, certainly love to talk to you again. Great stuff. And, and, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll stay in touch. And there are, there are a couple of bookstores around here in town and stuff. Maybe we can... Um, uh, off the air, we'll, we'll chat. Maybe there's a way to get, get, get your book on the shelf over there or something like that. So. Excellent, excellent. All right, okay, Brian, well, thanks again, and uh, enjoy the rest of the evening. Go get some rest, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you again, all right? Excellent. You have a nice night. All right, take care of yourself. Thanks. Bye. All right, everybody, that's Brian Trent, and uh, he was with us live from his home in Connecticut. Thanks to Brian for uh, staying up late and telling us the amazing story, this uh, wonderful and outrageous story, but one that uh, is now being told, and I hope people... Uh, are hearing it and learn more about this uh, this amazing woman who uh, came from and uh, gives to us uh, an amazing tradition and uh, she was lost for a long time but she's been found certainly by a man named Brian Trent and this book called Remembering Hypatia is one that uh, is wonderful and a great story and one that should be told. And I'm glad that Brian's telling it. So thanks to him. And you can find out information on the web at www.rememberinghypatia.com and always on the web at mikehagan.com as well. Okay, so uh, let's see. I need to say hi to Larry, who showed up in the uh, chat room just a little while ago, and uh, Pio, who's been hanging around the whole night, and uh, Teresa, who won a book, and Matt, who's been listening, and lots of other people who go unmentioned. Uh, thanks for listening to the show. I'll uh, take a few minutes here. We've got an extra, uh, got an extra five minutes or so that I can talk about my little birthday party that I had forgotten about uh, earlier, but was reminded online just a few minutes ago. So anyway, on the 14th of August, we'll have a special show and do sort of what we did last year, invite some people, uh, listeners and uh, some musicians, and I don't know, we'll probably have a couple guests on the line with us, and just to have fun, though, and mess around and have a good time with uh, me 
and you guys. So if you're a listener to the program and you want to come uh, to the birthday party on August 14th, just like we normally do on Monday night, it'll be 11 o'clock, uh, you're welcome to come down here. And I'll give details out as we get closer to the date, but it'll be fun. And I welcome everybody down here to see the radio station and to introduce themselves to me and me today. Uh, and I'd love to do it. So we're going to. All right. Okay. Uh, let's see. What else? Next week, we have Elena Tinetti. It's going to be a wonderful program with Elena. We're going to be talking about children and babies and water birth and dolphins and uh, the capabilities of human women. Again, some outrageous stuff that Elena Tinetti is doing. And the work that she's doing with dolphins uh, involves uh, Dr. Heisen, who's, of course, been on the program a number of times, Dr. Michael, uh, my friend, and his wonderful research partner, Star Newland, who's just the greatest. I mean, Star is just the best. And the two of them are doing amazing work with uh, dolphins and whales in Puna, Hawaii, at the Sirius Institute. And as a matter of fact, uh, congratulations to Michael and Star. Uh, somebody just uh, gifted them a nice little 25-foot sailboat uh, that will help them out in their studies. So anyway, great stuff happening all around, as Brian and I were talking about. Uh, you don't always hear about it, but we try to do our best to bring some of it to you here uh, on Radio Orbit. You can get a whole lot more on the web. Uh, Larry has done a tremendous job uh, with posting news stories. If you go uh, just to the front page there and just page down, you'll find all kinds of great uh, stories, things that you probably wouldn't find um, in your typical sources. For example, I ran and raved earlier about that one crazy story about the NASA guys that want to move the Earth into a safer orbit to somehow combat global warming, which they don't understand anyway. Uh, let's see, here's one. Mini solar system could reveal hidden dimensions. All right, the tree of knowledge, the science of dendrochronology, the biggest discovery in the history of science. Well, I don't even know what that is. Well, I can tell you what that is. It's that science doesn't have all the answers. Uh, Tesla. Nikola Tesla. Um, Kent and I were going to do a special on, Tesla, on Nikola Tesla tonight. It's been a uh, hundred and some years since his birth. I think we're, we're at an anniversary in the next couple of days or whatever. And we were going to talk about Nikola Tesla. And Kent knows a whole lot about him. Anyway, another amazing historical figure who is spoken about but never in the true sense of what he really was, uh, was up to. Anyway, apes that can talk on the phone. Uh, scientists create conditions under which light travels a mere 38 miles per hour. All right, this is the sort of stuff that we've got on the website. And um, the forum is a completely whole different story with people posting whatever they want, not just what Larry and I think is interesting or whatever. You can really uh, contribute there and do whatever you like on the forum as long as it's not too nasty. And we'd love to have you, and we'd love to... Uh, invite you into the conversation that we have every day not just on Monday night the website is pretty active during the week and the forum is, is active every day now so uh, if you'd like hop on the web go to MikeHagan.com you can register over at the forum and uh, join in and start to have some fun with us okay alright anyway time to head out of here we've got 
five minutes left. We'll finish things with one more song from Joe Stickley's Blueprint. Thanks to them for providing a wonderful bunch of music for the show tonight. The CD that I've been featuring tonight is called The Eagle and the Pearl. It's just recently out, and those guys are making great music, and I appreciate them sharing it with me so I could share it with you. All right, this last song is called My Little Halo, and we'll just leave it at that. Okay, it's Mike. You've been listening to Radio Orbit. Stick around. We've got some great music coming up for you after my show, I'm sure. And next week, Elena Tonetti. Lots of good stuff coming up after that. Just hop on the web, and you can always stay in touch with me and with what's happening with the program, okay? All right, it's Mike. You've been listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. Thanks to everybody who listened. Listen again next week, and we'll have some more fun. Well, I'm building a boat to float away My little halo away I'm building a boat Carolina Unstoppable And I'm building a road For me and you My little halo blue As I'm leaving a road Carolina Unstoppable I was more of a man than a boy. You were my only joy. Now I'm more of a man.